Hi and welcome to Sweetman Podcast, I'm Simon Sweetman and this is episode 54, uh, Tea Leaf Tea are our sponsors along with Phantom Bill Stickers of course, Lafare for coffee and Yeasty Boys give us some beer. This is me chatting to film reviewer and filmmaker Graham Tuckett. Um, I first came across Graham's words when he was the reviewer for Capital Times and I sort of followed, started following his film reviews a bit, thought he was quite good, had something to say, quite a good turn of phrase and then he became the Dominion Post film critic and he's still doing that and uh, and working for, for Fairfax for stuff and um, of course for I think he's been doing that for roughly 10 years and, and and basically we sort of were kind of colleagues in a sense because for most of that time I was a music reviewer for the Dominion Post and for stuff as well. Uh, we didn't really work up in the office, we didn't really hang out or anything like that but we know each other and we sort of uh, have I guess similar jobs and, uh, and, and some similar views on some subjects and then I found out that he's also a filmmaker, he's made an amazing documentary a few years ago about a New Zealand filmmaker called Barry Barclay. Um, he also was involved in a New Zealand music documentary. I'll save that for you to listen to in the podcast, but he was involved in the early stages of a quite important and iconic music doco about an important and iconic New Zealand band. And he's done a lot of sort of crew work, you know, um, being a grip on film sets, being a driver, being all sorts of things. So we talk a bit about that and we talk about his, his sort of life and, and his roles in and around film and what I thought was quite fun with this one is we got to just gas bag quite a bit about film so we talked about favourites, classic films what you get out of films, what's the best time to watch a film, i.e. the best time in the morning or the night or whatever all these sort of like silly nerdy things that only film reviewers and film obsessive types might actually think about but um, yeah I really enjoyed having a chat with Graham, I mean I've known him for a while and you know we've had a beer a few times in pubs and we've bumped into each other and that but it was nice to to sit down and, and, and get his story. So this is me talking to Wellington-based uh, film reviewer and filmmaker Graham Tuckett. We know each other, we've worked with the same publication for a long time, we did, yeah. and um, seen each other around a little bit, but I don't actually know a whole lot about you. My, my understanding of how you got into things in terms of how I know you was before you wrote film reviews for the Dominion Post, you wrote for Capital Times. Yeah, um, I had a... It was a, and I used to read that column, and I liked it. So I, you know, I, look, Cat Times was um, the freedom they gave me was fantastic. Yeah. I could say anything I wanted. Yeah, and the deadline was the following Monday. Yeah, which was so like, you had, I could see, I'd yeah. see a film on a Wednesday or Thursday. I'd get the weekly publication is fantastic for that, right? Four or yeah. five hundred words, and actually, so I'd go in on Monday you, mm. and be re- re- happy with what I'd done. Mm. Whereas, obviously, you know, you know what it's like now. It's like off. Yeah, now is like hour to ninety minutes to spit yes. out seven hundred to eight hundred words. Yeah, I've got good at it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I've got good at basically. I, I mean, I joke with people. This is exactly what I, what I'll say to you at the pub, with all the fucks taken out and some commas put in. Like yeah, that's that's, yeah. that's the level yeah. I've got to. Is I can just about freestyle it in my head and transcribe. Yeah. But it, I mean, it takes a while to get there. Yeah. I was joking with someone today that what used to take me a day is now is now an hour. So when but, you say what used to, so you've been doing the Dom Post stuff for a good decade, just over, my, just around. This is my eleventh year. Yeah. It was ninety six. I was trying to work out. Yeah, yeah. I've had you know I've had I've had a month or two off here and yeah, there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Cat Time started because an old girlfriend of mine. These stories so often start this way. 
uh, had a mate who at the time was the editor of the Capital Times. Mm. This is um, Caroline, who sadly died two years ago in a skiing crash. And we were out getting absolutely bombed on margaritas one night, and I voiced my opinion that the guy she had doing her film reviews, um, I thought it was a bit boring and yeah. wasn't doing the films justice. Yeah. And she said, well, you know, <laughs> okay, See if you can do any better. Flick me 600 words by and, Monday. And this is another, um, that's another way that these stories start with yeah. people who end up writing reviews or opinion pieces, is they usually end up saying, someone else was no good at it, give me a shot kind of thing in a roundabout way. <laughs> it, yeah, it, it sort of comes to that. Um, <laughs> and I finished up doing cat times for like four or five years never paid it's a completely mm. unpaid mm. position mm. it has to be voluntary mm. so you've got to genuinely love what you're doing although cat times was very very good for tickets events um, names on doors wherever you went anything that was happening in Wellington you got a, you got your name on the door for right because there was only a dozen people who wrote the whole thing was, yeah, you know, yeah the late the cat times it was a it was a force of good yeah and yeah, then after four or five years I got a um, I got an email from Tom Cowdy yeah uh, just saying do you want to give us a call and I sort of looked at it and thought, well, there's only one thing this could possibly be, and gave him a call. He said, we wanted to uh, contribute one review a week. And after a couple of months, that turned into sort of two or three reviews a week. And, and a few I, other bits I, and pieces here and there and film festival coverage. Yeah. And yeah. So, okay, and, so how do you get, like, we'll talk more about that, but let's use that and go backwards. How do you get to there? Like, you grow up loving films. You, I mean, I, like, I don't know, I you, think, you, you're involved with the actual film work and we'll talk about that, I but mean, I just mean, where did you get to the Capital Times from? I've, I've, I mean, like like most people who have got the sort of brain that wants to listen to a podcast, I think I've always grown up loving movies or at least loving yeah. some movies. Yeah. I've got a very, very specific early memory and I would have been maybe 10 or 11 years old of my parents having this absolutely volcanic argument and my dad basically saying, come on, we're getting out of the house sort of thing. Yeah. Despite the fact that it was almost certainly him to blame for the argument. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was yeah, like me yeah. and him were going and mum was going to be left alone for a bit. Mm. And when I saw um, what was my first like grown-up film, as in it wasn't a childish mm. topic, and it was the, um, the Roger Moore, um, James Bond, Man with a Golden Gun. Oh, right, yeah. Which, yeah. looking back, ironically, is now regarded as the worst James Bond yeah, film yeah, ever yeah. made. And it's a appalling as a film oh. but for me like nine ten years old sitting there watching it with no. my dad feeling like a grown-up yeah that sparked a love and i remember about not much longer not much later like a year or two later watching a film and just and this is a light bulb went off in my head that what I, was, what I was watching was an artificial construct and i started thinking about i wonder where the camera was the world of the movies and like, realizing yeah, that yeah. what i was seeing was a piece of theater that was being performed for camera and i had that realization at a pretty young age, and yeah. I've always been fascinated with the process ever since. Like, how do you tell a story visually? So, where do you grow up? Um, this was, well, I was born in England. Yeah. I came to New Zealand when I was, well, got on the ship when I was five, got off when I was six. Um, it wasn't a year, it was like six weeks, but I, yeah. I skipped my sixth birthday because it yeah. was on the international dayline. Uh, and landed, I was from Bristol in England. I was so young that I remember thinking it was going to be like lions and natives with spears would be would right. be waiting for me when I arrived because I'd grown up seeing stuff like Zulu on the television yeah. and um, because it was the other side of the world and the other side yeah. of the world wasn't England therefore it was going to be the jungle and lions and tigers um, pulled into Auckland could not be more disappointed and then settled in Hamilton I will say my parents like they came 13,000 miles around the world to live in the suburbs of Hamilton so you you come to New Zealand because your parents do why do they come? Uh, I think it's just a lot of people were leaving England around there yeah this is like just 76, 77. Uh, it's like, no, hang on, 70, sorry, 73, 74, 75. Yeah. So it's like the era of the, it wasn't quite the 10 pound palm era, 
but yeah, it was yeah. the era of like rolling power cuts and yeah. the rubber strike and yeah. all of that lovely stuff that um, Enoch Powell and all that. Yeah, stuff. Yeah, more stuff. The Fantastic Sex Pistols documentary. Mm. Um, mm. You know the one that the so-called winter Filth of discontent. Filth and the Fury. Filth and yeah. the Fury. Yeah. There was a so-called winter of discontent. Yes. We left the winter before that. Right. It was like the winter of the coming discontent. Yes. Yeah. 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 Uh, and a lot of people, a lot of British um, immigrants, I refuse to call them expats because they're just immigrants like everyone else. Um, arrived in either New Zealand, Canada, or Australia. My dad is a joke. He said we said um, Canada's too cold, Australia's too hot, New Zealand just right, and that yeah. was it. It was like the, it was the um, it was the Goldilocks country. So I grew up as a plummy voiced little English schoolboy, <laughs> despite the fact that I was from you know, good working class stock. Yeah, yeah. Uh, in Hamilton yeah. and then Tiaomutu. Uh bailed when I was fifteen years old. Ran back to Hamilton, which seemed like the big city. It was the only big city I'd seen. Yeah. And left there at 18, came down to Wellington for a student radio conference, never left. I'd got tied up in the student radio station in Hamilton mm. when I was like 16. Mm. Mm. And yeah, came to Wellington and went, this is it. And I've basically lived in Wellington ever since. I've taken breaks of four or five years. Yeah, but yeah. I've always, I, as Wellington's home. I, I identify as a New Zealander and I identify as a Wellingtonian. Yeah. And yeah. always will. Yeah, yeah. So, okay, so I didn't know that about you, that... that the student radio thing was a big thing for you from the oh, earliest I remember time. The, the day I, I got accepted into teacher's college, like straight out of the back of the sixth form. And mm. I'd, I'd left home by then. I was like literally living on a mate's couch while I finished mm. sixth form. And applied for a joke, because me and him were two kids who were like in trouble as often as not. Yeah. And hated school. It was, yeah. I, was, I wasn't brave enough to be an actual rebellious little punk, but in my heart I was, I loathed it. Yeah. Uh, and we, me and my friend Tony Death applied for Teachers College as a joke, and lo and behold, I actually got in. Um, and then that was it. That gave me that gave me a ticket into a student hall's residence. Yeah. First day of enrolment, you get sort of get you shuttle through this big hall, and they're like, well, "Do you want to do this? Do you want to do that?" And there was a student newspaper, and I said, "Oh, I'd love to write for that," which was the Waikato Times student newspaper, which was called yeah. Nexus. Yeah. So I started doing bits. Of, I just started doing music reviews for them, and Radio Contact. The much uh, the late late lamented radio contact in yeah, Hamilton. Yeah, yeah. I put my hand up and said, "Yeah, can I do that?" So I started doing like sort of late night shifts. Yeah. Well, yeah, those shifts in which I couldn't possibly damage the station's image by consistently playing <laughs> Shriekback. You know? Yeah, 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 yeah. So film reviews only come up with Capital Times, or you did a bit of that dabbling in that sort of area and student press I as did well. Or? Half a dozen for City Voice. Yeah. Filling in for yeah. a mate, Bryn Tilly, actually, mm-hmm. he was doing the film reviews for City Voice. And, uh, oh, someone else as well. And I sort of, like, seconded for them a few times, which was what gave me the the margarita-fueled nerve to say to Caroline Johnston, yeah, yeah. Uh, can I have a crack at your film reviews? So I feel like, without knowing any of that, I feel like by the time I started reading your stuff at Capital Times, and, I mean, I don't know when that was, um, but, like, early 2000s. Early, early 2000s, er- late, late 1990s. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I think... I mean, I did a little bit of stuff for Capital Times in the mid to late 90s, and then I'm thinking, like, yeah, whenever I would have cottoned on to your voice, it might have been, like, for me, it might have been the early 2000s, but by the time I start reading you, what I recognise after not that long, a couple of columns, is that you've read it, you've started to get, you know, I, I get your voice, which is what any reader hopefully gets from reading yeah. a particular writer. When did you recognise that you had a voice and do you feel you had it then or I think every writer who actually wants to write you get to a point where you're going to be recognisable yeah because you are writing in the way that you you yourself want to write and after a couple of years or 
so many you know so many thousand words per week for, for week after week after week you get yeah. to a point when you actually are you get the confidence to speak and you and you're not generically um aping or imitating what you think a music reviewer or a film reviewer or a political yeah. journalist would sound like yeah, and yeah. you start sounding like you get the, you, you eventually grow the confidence to sound like yourself yeah yeah as i say my my stuff the last 10 years is literally what i'd say to you over a beer at the pub yeah yeah but with the with the syntax and grammar cleaned up yeah yeah and it does. I mean, my friends say that they read my read my stuff in the paper, and they can just hear me saying it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the, what I run into occasionally when a joke really falls flat is it only works with like the timing <laughs> that only that only speech can give it. You know? Yeah. Well, see, I, I mean, I you know to this day, like I really get your voice through your stuff. I yeah. absolutely do. And I mean, I've you know. Obviously but you know me to hang out. And I know, exactly, so exactly. But yeah. and 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 I guess like. I was just starting to grasp that voice capital times early Don post before I met you. I started to get the idea of a voice on page, but yeah, I definitely get it now. Like yeah. I am. What concerns me is how concerned resident of tower who's never met me going, who <laughs> yes. is this like at the most generous, they'd call it idiosyncratic. Yes. And, um, and, I wonder whether I'm occasionally incomprehensible to people who can't hear my, uh, can't hear me saying. You know? So what's your aim as a film reviewer? What are you trying to do? I want to, and, and how do you feel that's changed? Look, I always say, like, my absolute bottom line, like, my, my cowpopper going into any review that I write is to work out who the film is marketed at yeah. and tell them whether I think it's worth their 20 bucks or not. Yeah. Like, that's that's my bottom line with a review. I'm not yeah. a critic. Yeah. The whole idea of film criticism, I, I'm almost in contempt of. I think there's really? Probably, okay. I don't think there's a dozen people in the world that can actually really call themselves film critics. And most of the people... So that Pauline, do, Kale, everyone... Everyone references what what you know like that's a funny one to me. Pauline, <laughs> Pauline Kale to me is the beginning of film reviewing as mm, opposed to film mm. criticism. I think that what yeah, I, what I, I said about my my I, mean, I think she's great, but I agree with yeah yeah yeah. I don't think we, we are everyone who's d from Pauline down. We are all her mokapuna. Yeah, like she was the one she took Roger Ebert under her arms, yeah, yeah, under yeah. her wing. Um, people look up to Ebert. I think yeah. Ebert was very, very good, but Pauline Kale was the well, she was the headmistress of yeah, what yeah. we call modern reviewing. And I think she probably applies to music reviewing as well. Yeah, I think or so. Her, she's her, referenced her in that amazing Rolling Stone generation of the sixties and absolutely. 70s. She's referenced a lot. You know, yeah. uh, not a, just in film, like music reviewers yeah. reference her. Yeah, you didn't have to be academically re removed, yeah. so therefore you didn't have to be either a critic or more likely a faux critic. Yeah. You could actually be a reviewer who was there to say this is worth the price of the ticket. Yeah. If it's the, if it's a, th a film you think that you're interested in in the first place. Yeah, yeah. But then you've got that other level of it is me trying to get people who don't think they'd be interested in a film because it's subtitled or because it's French or because it because it concerns a Maori story or because it's a feminist film. Whatever yeah, yeah. That means to go and see something that I reckon they would enjoy anyway. Yeah. Like yeah. There's always that. I mean, you must get it in music more than anything else that challenge yeah, to try sure. and opens people's minds a little bit and go you get the first person to go and see something they might not otherwise have seen because it was uh, not performed in the English language yeah yeah and you meet them up with them in the street the next week and they go oh when I saw it could be the raid yeah and they go, my nephew who's like 18 at the time absolute yeah. amazing kid hell yeah. bogan yeah I convinced him to see the raid yeah, yeah. his first um, subtitle film he'd ever seen yeah and to this day his favourite action film 
Amazing film. And he hasn't exactly got away from Indonesian yeah, martial arts right. and sort of branched And into, opened that door. It's not like he's gone into <laughs> Uncle Boomy who can see his yeah. past lives, but he does at least now watch all the Indonesian martial arts mm. films. I'm like, oh, that's good. You can do a lot worse. Especially since he's living in Brisbane. It's like, yeah, you know, that's, that's, a, <laughs> that's a hurdle to get over there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you can do a lot worse than getting hooked on that sort of style of film oh, too. I like this. never ever put them down. Yeah, yeah. I mean, my, you know, um, my director and employer of Fairfax like, flicked something to me last week called Headshot. And he said, do you want to do this? And I was like, you can do it. And he said, yeah, you love the genre. I was like, actually, no, you're right, I do. <laughs> um, so what do, you, what do you balk at with films? I mean, like, I, I, I'm just going to pluck something out here, like a film like Spice World. But <laughs> Spice World, which, do you know, I've never, ever seen. And I usually watch anything to do with music. Yeah. You know, the crappier, the better in a way. Like, I'm obsessed with it. I've never seen that. So, that's like, a, do you... That's you know? such a strange example to bring up because I Isn't didn't it? see it for the first time until about two years ago. Oh, well, there you go. Yeah, and yeah. it turned up on a, on a headrest on and a I'll probably watch. And I went, I'll probably go and, like, rent it from the know, video store in an arcade I don't know where... After it, this where, conversation. Now that it's been re released or re whether they've re-released it and cut the Gary Glitter cameo out of it. Yeah. Which may have happened. Right. But I will go on the record as saying Spice World is, Spice World is a hell of a lot of fun. Yeah, right. It's, it's absolute genre perfection. All right. So where do you... All right. So that's, that's a pretty low time, bar, but... People were at the time comparing it to the Beatles' help and yeah, saying, this yeah. is how you make a pop music movie. Yeah. And yeah. it's and then it's fun. It's, it's, that fluttering noise you can hear is our credibility going out the window. <laughs> <laughs> and the idea that... But the idea was that, was that it was tongue-in-cheek. It was fun. It was... What? It was, uh, you know... Acknowledging fandom yeah. and pop culture, ex, you know the, ex, the extreme. In answer to your question, what I bought? Yeah. So when uh, you lazy sequels? Yeah. Um, like a sequel that doesn't a sequel that's got no purpose to exist except that it's a, uh, except uh, that continuing it's, except a franchise, a low risk cash yeah. in on a previous yeah. name. Yeah. Like I, I mean, I liked. Um, Example. What's that Ben Stiller, Robert yeah. De Niro thing? I was just going to say, Meet the Parents. Meet, meet the, the Parents. Love Meet the Parents. Yeah. Very funny film. Everything that came after. I mean, I was on I was, about once a year. I allow myself to walk out of a movie and include yeah. that in the review. And yeah. Meet the Fockers, one of those films. Yeah, I said. And then well, there I was said, I said one after film, that. That was I even said, worse. This film arrives in the multiplex like a fart arrives in an elevator. <laughs> yeah. I was like, I've never gone back and revisited yeah. that line either. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, lazy cash in and the whole torture porn yeah. genre. Yeah, everything. Um, posts. I can I can see, I can see the credibility in a in the original Saw and yeah. even at a stretch the original Hostel. Yeah. But everything that got franchised off the back those of those two franchises I, and all the copycat things around those. Yeah. yeah. If, if yeah. you're playing pain, um, torture, and especially cruelty towards women. Yes. Yeah. If you're playing that purely for entertainment value or purely to make a buck, I've got no time for you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and yeah. I'm and so the blurred. I don't review those films. And so the blurred line there is things like a lot of horror sequels, which. Yeah. Uh, or or postmodern like kind of uh, remakes of classic horrors. That's probably a blurred line where. I, I mean I don't subscribe to the belief that the remake is always uh, inferior because yeah. there's a, there's a good there's a good bulging handful of remakes that are demonstrably better films. Yeah. I mean speaking of classic horrors, I think you know the John Carpenter is the thing. Yeah. It's a superb film. Yeah. Um, and that you know that itself was a remake. And the uh, there was an Invasion of Body Snatchers remake, which I think yeah. was, you could hold up as being up there with the original um, the girl with the dragon tattoo I prefer the so called American or English language performance yeah I think I do that. too yeah. it took some sort of creepy slightly dodgy misogyny out of out of what had was actually there in the page yeah it, it yeah. glossed over it a lot better than the original yeah. film did yeah you know, the fact that the aging journalist was actually sleeping with this teenage head case yeah yeah yeah, yeah they, they, they got around that in a slightly less icky way 
Yeah, yeah. What about um, what about uh? There's many things I want to talk to you about films, and one of them. So I'm just gonna bring it up now. Is knowing because I was gonna say knowing that you do a bit of radio DJing now, but actually you've always done it. So how important to you and uh, is music and movies? And because I don't I. I don't know, like, you, you'll, you'll instantly pick several examples to prove me wrong, but I don't know that you reference score and soundtrack that often in your reviews. I don't... And you don't need to, and I'm not, you know, I'm not, yeah. like, I'm not like, I'm putting a cross next to your name because no, you no, don't, no, right. but I'm just curious, in your film-watching experience, what that's that means to you. That's probably a very good point, because I don't mention it a whole lot, even though it's one of the things that I think about. And quite I, a bit. See, I don't because I think I, I I probably yeah. if anything I I now over mentioned that I remember going to I mean I'm no, I'm no film reviewer but I like like anyone who's written for a while I'll have a look at things and I'll have something to say but when I was doing student journalism I always remember the funniest thing that I ever heard the funniest early feedback I got was I reviewed the Blues Brothers 2000. You want want to talk about lazy, shitty sequels? (laughs) Right. And and, and cash-ins. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So I reviewed that, and I went to it, and I made an honest attempt to review it. I was really let down by the film. I loved the original. I went to it at the cinema, and I wrote a thing about it, and and I would say, if you could accentuate the positive in that movie, it would be to focus on some of the musical performances. They did go all out. In Blue Brothers 2000. In Blue, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like, that is where it almost... There was an acknowledgement there of what some of the magic of the original. It, exactly. Yeah. So it almost, if it, if it got close to redeeming itself, it was through including things like Eric Badu and stuff, as well as the whole, like, adherence to tradition. Point well and, and a guy said to me at a pub, I read your review, which when you're writing for a student magazine, you just think that's fantastic. <laughs> and he's, first of all, and a guy who was a mate, he said to me, I read your review of Blues Brothers 2000. I think you focused on the music a little too much. And I was like, it's a fucking music film. Like, yeah, I know. And, it's and, a music and film. And also and you went looking for the only positive you could find. Exactly. I was very early into any sort of, whatever you call it, career or what, or, or occupational hazard or hobby of reviewing. Yeah. So I was exactly in that mould of trying to essentially accentuate the positive yeah. um, but that's kind of stuck with me and I think like probably now I actually do dwell on yeah. soundtrack and score too much but that's your turf yeah as well, it that, exactly people right. are going to read, read you for an opinion about the music yeah um, I, I tend to talk about cinematography probably more than people are because actually because that's your turf <laughs> well, probably more than people are actually interested and we'll get to that um, but I do I mean I always I like a really smart and assiduous musical selection yeah um, I will. I mean, if I was reviewing Goodfellas today, it might be that was before my time. Yeah. But the fact that he finished that with Sid Vicious's iteration of uh, My Way. Yeah. To me, is one of the smartest, funniest, most. Well, most of the you can make. most of the music in that film. Oh, it's all. I mean, this season film like, goes yeah, without yeah. saying it's beautifully done. Yeah. But that is like a gag at the end. Correct. It's like Sinatra has been taken over by the young punks. I mean, yeah, that's, yeah. That's basically the plot of the film. Yeah. And the fact that he chose that or whoever didn't suggested it to him and go, yeah. to me that's the greatest musical gag ever played. And Tar- 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 Tarantino beautiful, but he's yeah. only ever Scorsese wannabe. Of course, but I was going to say, Tarantino films tend to, yeah. uh, I don't know that I can recall reading you about Tarantino, although I'm sure I have, but... Tarantino films tend to get the music tends to get mentioned by just about everyone oh, in some capacity. Because he makes um, he makes bold choices and, yeah. he re- and he reintroduces songs that people didn't know they loved. Yeah. In the way that I've got to say, the Marvel movies, Guardians of the Galaxy, suddenly reintroduced a generation of Redbone. Right. Yeah. 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 By going, just get some of the slightly lesser known absolute four stompers. I remember. And suck those back in. 
I was playing Redbone on radio for the following week. I was like, yeah. I'd forgotten that, that song, yeah. you know? I remember thinking, well, uh, looking at the soundtrack to that, and thinking, because I didn't watch those films, but just yeah. thinking, like, seeing the soundtrack, like, man, yeah, like, there there's, is well, there's an ongoing gag in yeah. Guardians of the Galaxy yeah, 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 yeah. that he's still got a Sonny Walkman and a tape that his mum yeah, gave him. Yeah, I read some stuff about it, and I saw that, and it's or... like it's a mixtape thing, and yeah. it's, um, but also, like, I was, I mean, I was doing some thinking about Pulp Fiction soundtrack. Yeah. a while ago and, and I wrote something about that just thinking like and I mean Reservoir Dogs too but yeah those songs in Pulp Fiction I mean oh, Tarantino's you know, been incredibly influential just I mean, re- reintroducing in K. Billy's super yeah. sounds of the 70s no but even like I mean you know you could almost struggle to convince people now that 20 years ago people didn't really give a fuck about Al Green a few people did, yeah, but not like now. Like not like now. Oh, the, you've the, got the like so-called Tar- the Tarantino effect is like it's like opera's book club. Yeah, Tarantino puts your song in a movie, then you can re- you can retire. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure, you know, the Al Green estate would have made or, more money post Pulp Fiction than it did yeah, before. Yeah, of course. I mean, yeah, yeah, we're spitballing here, but I reckon. Yeah, yeah. And as for something like Mizzaloo. Yeah. I mean, he absolutely resurrected that track for a generation. It would have been a music nerd's yeah. beloved track. Yeah. But he, but he, it's now a, it's now a musical cliche. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And yeah, exactly. here it's such a great track. Yeah, I mean, was, I, but it was fading into obscurity by the time he totally. was it. And I was thinking, like, yeah, exactly. Like he was like, whilst, whilst absolutely his whole kind of use of music and his whole sort of the way he goes about it is is. Yeah. Scorsese lied. I mean, but pulp, pulp, you can argue that Pulp Fiction basically is a music video put yeah, over a fantastic yeah, yeah, soundtrack. Yeah, 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 yeah. And, and so therefore he becomes an influence not just to filmmakers but actually yeah. to DJs. I think like if, if has, Tarantino you know, started off by watching you know, Mean Streets obsessively, which I'm sure he did, and going, oh, the way he used, boom, and then he kissed me and that, yeah. and going, but he actually has taken it further. Like Tarantino yeah, yeah. is now the master of dropping in yes. the subversive pop track. Yes, I yeah, think absolutely. Well, I don't know of anyone who's doing it better and in a more consciously popular way. Yeah, and just I was going to say, just when you think he's trying too hard, as I thought he might have been with things like um, putting out the fire, cat people, yeah. which actually was fucking amazing. I mean, God, the music. Oh, was, to, to me, the music was the best thing about that film. I that, did, I didn't like that's that. That's one film. of the two Tarantinos I'm not. Ter- I'm not terribly fond. No, neither. I, I didn't. Got, I did not like that it's film. It's got a couple of magnificent set pieces in it. That opening the first, scene. Was, first 20, nobody, 30 minutes is amazing. Nobody knew who Christoph Waltz was. Yeah. So now yeah. he's yeah, one of the ten biggest stars in the world. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, he does the same thing with actors that he does with. Um, yeah. I mean, he resurrected Harvey Kaplan. What did he do with John Travolta? Yeah. You're trying to remember that John Travolta was the guy whose career wasn't just washed up, it was dead on the beach. Yeah, yeah. He was the voice of something baby too. And even though I think Die Hard 3 came out afterwards, Bruce Willis was pretty close to washed up in a weird kind of it was way. definitely on a downward He was on a, exactly. And, and so and Tarantino single-handedly made him cool again. Yeah, yeah. Harvey and, Cartel, same yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and, Harvey Cartel was a cult head of the 1970s. Yeah. And yet Harvey Keitel perversely is almost responsible for Tarantino's career. Yeah. Because somehow the, the script of, uh, of Reservoir Dogs got to Harvey Keitel. And he was the one who read it and went, you know, I like this. And Tarantino tells this amazing story about coming home and checking his answer machine. <laughs> yeah, yeah. To find this, he's going, this must be one of my friends playing a joke. Hi, it's Harvey here. I like his script. Let's do it. Yeah, well. And he says he's still got yeah. the tape to this day. Yeah. He says, that's my career got launched right there. Because as soon as Harvey Keitel attached him, yeah. attached himself, it was like... Okay, give the kid a million bucks, see what he does with it. Yeah, yeah. So, wow. you know, he, he, he reckons he owes Harvey Keitel everything. Although, that script was so damn strong that somebody, yeah. would, somebody would have jumped on it. 
those scripts are great to those early Tarantino films. I mean, I read the, I read them all at the time, and yeah. I've I've gone back and read a few of them again. Yeah. And I haven't read the ones. You know, I guess Hateful Eight would be one that I'd probably be quite interested to read as a script. But yeah. but but the so other Hateful Eight, I'd cra- by by his standards, I'd characterise that as quite a flabby script. Right. I think Django is a is a masterpiece of a script. But I think that original um, Reservoir Dog script. Yeah. That the way it vanishes inside the story and yes. starts telling the other story about. Yeah. The, the cover story you're going to have to have with the pot and he goes yeah. and he's there at the motel with the sheriff's convention yeah. and you get so he plays this beautiful trick like you vanish inside that story and completely forget about the fact that even within the confines of this work of fiction this is a work of fiction well no one knew in Reservoir Dogs really at the time that um, Samuel L. Jackson was yeah. you know was there, but it's yeah, well, pop fiction that makes him. Yeah, again. I mean, if you if you're a Spike Lee completist, you already, yes. you knew and admired Sam Jackson. Sure, you. But pop sure. fiction just sent it stellar. And that's, you know? But I'm saying like he'd already used him, yeah. like, but not to the level that he was gonna go and use yeah. him. So yeah, yeah, yeah. That's funny. I wonder how what Spike Lee thinks when he, he looks at Tarantino's career now and goes, "Fuck it, I'm a better filmmaker than you," and he is, but he hasn't got the showman's instincts. Yeah, yeah. Is, he, is he still, or you mean he was? Or you think he still Spike, is? Spike Lee on form, I think, is one of the half dozen best directors the world's ever seen. I think it's phenomenal. You look at that Mal- the Malcolm X bio he did. Yeah. Is, ju- is just an incredible piece of work. I really he brings like. So much intelligence and so much passion what, and so much literateness. What was his 9 11 film called? Was it the oh, 25th, 25th, 25th hour? hour? Yeah. I love that. And that's about where I stopped with him. Yeah. Like, for no real reason, but, yeah. like, that just felt like a really good place to just leave him for a bit. And so I'm always interested in what he's got to say. He and did that lovely bank robbery thing with Clive Owen, and he just, he quoted um, Reservoir, not Reservoir Dogs, uh, Dog Day Afternoon. Oh, yeah, 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 actually, it. I did see that. It's like, there's yeah, an yeah. entire scene in that film, and I'm, yes. I actually felt like the only person in the world who spotted it, but I'm a Dog Day Afternoon obsessive. Like, that's my absolute Desert Island movie. Yeah, right. Um, is There's an entire scene in whatever that film's called, where he quotes Dog Day Afternoon. Right. And yeah. it's like every line of dialogue is lifted from it. Yeah. Despite the fact that it's all in a slightly different context from what it is in Dog Day Afternoon. So I'm a big Dog Day fan as well, and um, you can probably guess what is ironic about me liking that. No score. No, there's no music. car when they're driving at the start yeah. and that gets switched off yeah. when the car gets switched off and that's it for the whole film you could almost argue that Dog Day Afternoon is just about the invention of dogma yeah it's like it actually feels like a film that's being performed in real time in real space with available sound. I remember the first time ones. watching it going like what's weird about this what am I yeah and it was that and it was then going and fight you know early days of the internet fighting a review yeah. from the time and then fighting some other like kind of criticism of it over the yeah. years and going yeah fuck there's no music well there, I mean there are school of directors out there who seriously think that soundtracks are cheating mm. it's like if you can't do it with what it's actually, manipulating people yeah. telling people Which of how it is. Yeah. of course and, it is and so that's a good reason to use they it think as well to them, to, them, to them a soundtrack is, is one step above putting a laugh track in a movie yes so you are actually manipulating people's emotions which is like well yeah we are we're making a film but I really respect like the dogma school who go 
if somebody turns on the radio, we're just going to have what's playing on the radio. As soon as the you... The story yeah, of yeah. Lars von Trier is you would phone up the radio station, <laughs> request the song, <laughs> and then like, wait, 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 listening on a transistor in a back room and go, okay, shoot the scene now. It's so weird, person though, walks in, turns on the radio, and there's the Rod Stewart track that he wanted. I mean, the first, that might be an urban myth, but I heard that's what, that's what Trier did. The first Lars von Trier film I saw was Breaking the Waves, which I think is, is probably the one that announced him to a lot of people. Yeah, me included. I mean, I saw that at the cinema and I didn't know how I felt about it either which is a good thing but the score is very concocted in that so much so that it's like used like chapter breaks for memory right well we're talking about um about groundbreaking but shockingly good use of track with an ironic fashion Lars von Trier putting young Americans at the end of Dogville and Mandalay uh, I mean that's cruel and brilliant Yeah. for a man who's never actually been to America (laughs) because he refuses to get on a plane and he says I'm pretty sure I hate it (laughs) that's the most scathing not just anti-American but anti his idea of American movies he's never visited the United States I I, I just remember loving um, hearing uh, in a movie theatre hearing Suzanne Leonard Carlson Suzanne, you know, and, and yeah. breaking the waves, and going, okay, like, you know, yes, you can hear Cohen songs in yeah. movies, and it's been done before, but it hadn't been done for a long time. Well, it felt, like, it felt well, that well the famous example was Altman with McCain, yeah, 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 the yeah. great western, Most scored the half whole thing, of that album. basically scored it to songs of Leonard Cohen, yeah, yeah, yeah. which somehow, even despite the fact that they were yeah, 150 years outside of chronology and it was only done then yeah like normally if you made a film like that was set in the 1970s you put a 1970 soundtrack yeah yeah and if it was in the 40s you had a 40s soundtrack yeah Altman was one of the one of the not the, certainly wasn't the first but he was one of the revolutionaries who said you can put any damn thing you like on even if it's a pop song of today yeah yeah I can put that over my western that's set in 18 months <laughs> yeah yeah you know and that, that was revolutionary stuff yeah yeah so okay, so so now I know you do think about the music. I do think about it. Yeah, I can tell that. And, I was. And, I mean, I saw the King Kong, not the Kong remake, but the Kong movie, Skull yeah. Island, ten o'clock this morning. And I love the fact that as the helicopters took off, there's just a hint of a quote of a bar from um, Ride of the Valkyries. It's right. Just, yeah, just, yeah, yeah. Just if a, you're really attuned and you're really hoping for. <laughs> I swear you can hear it. Henry Jackman soundtrack, and I might just be imagining. Do you think? It. I was going to say. Do you think we hear that? Cinema goers that love movies hear that as soon as there's a chopper. I think, oh yeah, <laughs> you know, like I, I, a little I, bit. I, I whistle it when I see one when I'm walking down the street. <laughs> yeah, and yeah. I can't but help. Yeah. And I think we also, what I thought you were going to ask is, do we hear what we want to hear and see what we want well, to see? That's essentially and I what think, I am asking. Yeah, we do. If we're yeah. if we're invested in a film, I think we do mm. add layers of likability to it that aren't necessarily there. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but other times it's really nice to spot something that maybe you were maybe you were supposed to see if you're really looking closely. What is the best time for a film reviewer to go to a film? <laughs> Three days before deadline. Uh, no, 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 no. I mean, best time <laughs> of day. Like, obviously, you want to see it before. Yeah. I'm very, very. I, when I get laid on a screening at like half eight, nine o'clock in the morning, I love yeah. that. Yeah. Bowl in, place to myself, cup of coffee, yeah. all functions kicking in. Speaking of movies that I think I saw at exactly the right time to appreciate, yeah, uh, Tom Hardy in the so-called thriller Lock, which was like it was a man with a in a car with a slightly slippery Welsh accent, yes, um, <laughs> sitting in his. I mean, the whole film takes takes place at him sitting in the driver's seat. Yeah, it's performed virtually in real time. It's yes. an hour and a half of him taking phone calls from four or five different people yeah. about the fact that A, he... Most famously, the woman from Broadchurch. Yes, Olivia. Olivia, yeah. um, She was... So there's the wife that he's walked out on. Yeah. There's his lover from... His boss. His boss. 
there's yeah. his lover from eight and a half, nine months ago who mm. now is going to give birth that night and he's decided to go and be with her. Yeah. And he's the engineer in charge of the biggest concrete pour in <laughs> European history since yeah. World War II. And he's not there to oversee it. He's walked out and left his yeah. drunken Irish foreman and to find driving. the keys for the gate. And yeah. he's driving. And the whole film unfolds as a, se- as a, as a series of phone calls. Yeah. And I saw that half past eight in the morning with a coffee, wide awake, absolutely enraptured in Yeah. And I ran into a friend of mine, ironically enough, an ex-girlfriend's mother, <laughs> about three months later, and she walked up to me and she said, you owe me $34. And I'm like, what was it about the bottle of wine I knocked over? What are you talking about? And she said, no, when I saw that bloody film, you gave five-star review. And I was like, oh, not a lock. And she yeah. went, and I said, when did you see it? She was like, oh, just last night, the half past nine, had a couple of glasses of wine. And I thought, yeah, at half past nine, after I'd had a couple of Chardonnays and I just wanted to go out for a mm. night and see a movie, mm. I would, I made, well, I, I personally wouldn't have, but I've got complete empathy with anyone who loathed it. So that was a film that, yeah, I, I had to watch that film in the same way as I'd read a book. Yeah. I couldn't and skim I, it, you know? I have that thing with, with, with albums and gigs and also with movies where I go, and you, you, you said it before about, um, Tarantino too, where you have these films where you go, I loved it, but I could I could also totally see why someone wouldn't, yeah. you know, and so it's funny actually, like you just describing. I don't know if I read your review of Lot before or after we saw it, but must have been after because I, 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 I was thinking of no, I've got a screener link to it, so I'm, maybe I actually watched it before I read your review. But anyway, I fucking did not like it at all. Right. But I I got why everyone was enamoured with the technical aspect of it like the, 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 the sort of idea that it was done at a, almost in real time as, just as a feat of writing yeah yeah yeah, yeah. exactly the, the, the minimalist aspect that it was essentially yeah. theatre I think what blew me away was the fact that somebody funded it yeah exa- got know, it off the ground exactly bowling up to bowling up to any funding body and, and deciding saying, right, I've this got is this, what happens oh, a guy sits in a car also and makes phone calls uh, he's become like a pretty big deal since but he wasn't he wasn't he really. Wasn't, he wasn't a tentpole name then. He wasn't then, was he? I mean, he was a good actor, obviously, and that was one of the things yeah. that he made his name on. Now, I couldn't fault his performance. I couldn't really fault too much about the film, but I just didn't like it. And yeah. you've just given me a reminder that I had one of the absolute worst days I've ever had as a parent, oh, ever. Ne- and, yeah. then we, and then we got home, like, embarrassed in front of friends, worried about, like, uh, what we were doing wrong as parents. And we sat down and had and could barely speak to one another because we were shell shocked. And then I was like, "I've got this screen on." Oh, then you put watch. on lock. And I put it on. Oh, no, see, that's you put on as Park, I was you know? exactly <laughs> as yeah. I was watching it, I was going, "I'm in the wrong." Yeah. Completely in the wrong state. Well, that was it. my that was my yeah, perfect half exactly. past nine empty cinema, cup of coffee, yeah, reviewers treat. So do you remember that Joy Division film Control? Yeah. I went to that. I don't. You know, I've I've never been. Uh, you know, an official. F- film reviewer but I was interviewing the director right so I got it was Anton Corbin. Anton Corbin yeah yeah yeah, yeah. The, the famous really more famous as a music photographer yeah, sure. really you know shot the cover of Joshua Tree yeah. um, shot Joy Division at their time yeah um, and blah 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 and I got that treatment you're talking about I went to a screening of it at the Paramount yeah where I was told oh you can bring someone along and yep. it was just me and a guy from my work who was a massive Joy Division fan. Nine o'clock in the morning, they made us a long black yep. edge and we sat in there and watched it and we were just like, sort of almost high-fiving each other going, we love Joy Division, we love... And he got it right, you reckon? And, oh, it was a good film, yeah, yeah. I liked it. Because I yeah. know you've had, you've had 
major problems with music bar books. Yeah, that's like, what I mean. I'm, I'm a huge fan of Walked Alone. I think it's a good film. Right, yeah. I, I know that you loathe it. Yeah, yeah I do. I loathe Ray, and I can, I can see the problem with Ray. No, I think I probably was kinder to Ray than Walked Alone, if anything, actually, yeah. in hindsight. Ray's pretty gimmicky, but I... Yeah, I'm just not, I'm, I, not that, I, I'm not that taken with um, Joaquin's performance, which really? everyone is. Whereas, um, what's his name, Jamie Fox? I could totally go. Yeah. You actually did a pretty oh, fucking he was, good he was a, performance. He was a like that was, yeah. 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 And so, and I don't even know that it's I like Ray Charles's music more than Johnny Cash's. That's a fucking tough call. Like yeah. I don't. Oh, that's, I, that's, that's, that's 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 oranges. That's man. silly. That's yeah, the, yeah, yeah, exactly. There's no need to make that call ever. Um, I did like I did like Control. I actually would say that's one of the better. I reckon it's yeah. one of the better biographies. But I think what well, was so cool Anton about Corbin actually had personal knowledge of the band. That, and, and I loved the you know I I don't have the facility you have with it, but in terms of you talking cinematography and stuff, I loved the look of that. Film. Oh, it looked look like it, it looked like a series of Corbin's own stills brought to brought to motion. So it got close to feeling like a documentary was in the he, best possible way. He was way. cinematographer on that himself. Yeah, I believe he was. Well, if not, he had a doppelganger. Yeah, yeah, Someone yeah. Someone to just make his vision work. So I interviewed him about uh, a week later, mm. or f- a few days later, not e- maybe even a couple of days later. I think I got rushed to a performance of it because I was going on a family holiday to Queenstown and I was going to do the interview from there. So we turned up in Queenstown, we flew down, meeting my parents there who had one a week's accommodation yeah. in a raffle in Queenstown so we fly down and we're going to stay with them in this accommodation and I get there and I've got about 20 minutes to get myself sorted to talk to Anton and I am talking to him about control and how much I love it and then I reference he made a I don't know if you know this but he made a um, 11 minute documentary about Captain Beethoven no, you, can, you can probably get the whole thing on YouTube. Oh, it's I'll 11, find, it's 11 minutes. It's yeah. 11 minutes long. Yeah, yeah. And I used to have the DVD of it. I imported it when I worked at the record store. And it's, you know, you'd almost feel ripped off unless you knew in advance it's 11 minutes long. Yeah. And so I brought that up to him and uh, in the interview. And then he just said, Do you know what? You have made my day. Like, this is my proudest moment as an interviewer. He said, I'm sitting in Sydney, I've done 400 interviews in two days, and you are the first person to reference that? that short documentary, and it's yeah. one of the things I'm most proudest of. Oh, that's and I was just like, man, you know, this is never going to go wrong from here, and it didn't, it was great, but, yeah. so maybe that's also now, that's part of the narrative of me watching Control. Do you know what I mean? Like, oh, of it's, you know, at the yeah, time I loved it anyway, but it yeah. had that purpose. Yeah, we, we don't we don't exist <laughs> in separation from the things that we're watching any more than we. Yeah. I mean, watching is an activity. Yeah, it's like you cannot watch you cannot watch something if you're awake with not actually you you are actually participating in the act of watching. Yeah, watching becomes a physical mental thing that you do, and of course your emotional state and yeah. your your attachment to the thing you're doing comes in. Yeah, I mean I've seen. I've seen films that I loathed that I've revisited only weeks later and really liked. Right. Um, I mean, this is going back many, many years. I mean, so young. I think I actually had to sneak in because it was an R18. But taking a girl on a date to see David Lynch's Blue Velvet. Right, wow. And she hated it. Yeah. So I sort of like fooled myself that I didn't like it. (laughs) And then... then 
Um, I'm curious about that. I've got to go and see it again. And then, yeah. yeah, but simply by curiosity and some yeah. friends of mine raving about it and somebody else wanted to see it, like literally three weeks later, went back and saw it again. Yeah. I was absolutely blown away. I think that, was, that might even have been my first exposure to David Lynch. Right. Like I sort of worked backwards and then discovered the joys of razor head and everything else. Wild at heart for me. Actually, no, that's not true because I saw Elephant Man with well, yeah. my parents when I was maybe 11. Wild at heart for me and I didn't know how to feel about that. Yeah. And then discovering Eraserhead. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah, I remember I remember exactly where I was watching that. I, yeah. I had my job, I worked at a video store, like in the just as DVDs were coming in, yeah. like in fact, yeah, like it wasn't for a long time, but just as DVDs were coming in and they really only took up a couple of shelves. Yeah. So it was good old fashioned video hiring. Yeah. And I watched so many great films that yeah. and Eraserhead was one of them, like all the stuff you'd heard about that you couldn't yeah get in a small town or that you hadn't got to or you were too young to yeah. you know it happened and then people well, were talking to me, about it Eraserhead was Sunday night Sunday night double features of the Paramount yeah I've right. seen turn up there a lot yeah and I've seen it right I don't think I've ever seen it on the small screen but I've watched it on the big screen right I've times. only seen it on the small screen there's yeah. so much in that film you look yeah. back on it and go it's like it's the it's the Rosetta Stone of Lynch and it's the Rosetta Stone of a hell of a lot of modern horror as well how did you feel about um, Mulholland Drive being voted recently as oh, some, what was it the best film of the new millennium or whatever? Like, yeah, it was, which um, is an unusual choice given that it was never actually supposed to be a movie. Yeah, like if we cut it together from the rushes of what he intended to be a pilot and bits and pieces of a yeah. series, the fact that he assembled something that befuddles people so much to this day is he's, well, he's a genius yeah. assembler of film. Yeah. Um, I don't think Mulholland Drive is, is even Lynch's best, let alone the best film made in the last 17 years. But... Because that was the vote, wasn't it? It was best film Yeah, 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 century. best, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was yeah. actually vaguely surprised to read that and go, was that since 2000? I thought it was, it was like, only just, wasn't it? It stuck in by, just. like, January the 2nd, yeah. year 2000. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, I love Mulholland Drive. Yeah. But um, I wouldn't. Best film of the 21st century. No, I'm not even going to go there. No, no, I'm not. And, and, and that was not a leading thing yeah. to ask you. No, so I was going to say, so, so now's probably a good time. We could talk about this all night and we could go back to it, but now's probably a good time to bring in, um, which you hinted at, your uh, you know, your understanding of film and when you're reviewing it and watching it in terms of cinematography and stuff. So you work on films and you have made films. Yeah. And so when does that happen? And how do you get to that? Um, and what is the motivation? Way and before I started reviewing, I always liked writing. Right. And, yeah. I, and I fancied myself as a... I, I tried writing scripts and plays and bits and pieces. Yeah. Um, I'm ADD as hell, so it's very hard for me to actually finish something. Um, I've completed a couple... I completed a short film script that I quite liked. Um, based... Actually based on a song. To, uh, a song called Tomorrow's Paper by... I'm going to say Tom Petty, but it's not Tom Petty. It's, um, it's not Towns Van Zandt, but it's in that family. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's about a man who gets tomorrow's newspaper delivered. Yeah. And he thinks this is wonderful and starts making out like a band of it at the, um, at the, the TAB. Yeah. And then neglects to read the front page on the day that would have, would have warned him there was an earthquake coming and kill him. Right. And I wrote this little seven-minute thing, which mm. I quite like. Took mm. it down to the QE2 Arts Council, mm. as it was back then, before the days of Creative New Zealand. And I got given $10,000 to make it. I was like, are you kidding? I thought it was that easy. <laughs> I thought you just stuck your envelope in the mail and they sent back a cheque for ten grand. Yeah. I've never had funding for anything since. <laughs> and I've tried about a dozen times since. But um, I made that, or well, after a fashion, 
and loved the process. I walked onto a film set for the first time in yeah. my life as a director who knew nothing. Yeah. Um, my mentor on that was Barry Barclay. Right. He was okay. the person that created so and put me in, put me in touch with, and that was the beginning. That's answering a future question of mine. That was the beginning yeah. of a. Well, it wasn't actually the beginning of a friendship because I'd met him since, and they'd said, "Who would you suggest as a mentor?" Wow. And I got to say, "Well, I know Barry Barclay." Yeah. Which I think probably tipped me over the edge with the funding. Yeah. Right. Um, made the film for better or worse, and I've I've always written bits and pieces since. But there was a time I was about 25, 26 years old. I was sitting in a pub. Talking to talking to some friends, I'd done like a little bit of set building and a bit yeah. of um, bit of wedge humping for various yeah. you know, town halls and stuff, and got talking to a, got talking to a guy who was a who was a um, dolly grip and a key grip, yeah. and he needed an assistant grip, and I sort of vaguely knew what a grip did. Yeah, um, I was strong enough and fit enough to carry carry stuff up hills. Yeah, so I was in, and that was my first ever job. Started a week later. It was twelve weeks based in Picton, going out on boats every day filming um, the John Bache TV series Duggan. Yeah, yeah, I thought, yeah. I thought it was going to be like that. From I thought that was my life from then on. Yeah, yeah. People would fly me down the pits and put me up, <laughs> in, put me up in motels. Yeah. And I'd earn what seemed like a king's ransom at the time yeah, for yeah. carrying stuff through the bush. And I thought this is great. Yeah. It's my life sort. Yeah. Because it's not like that. I just got very lucky with my first yeah. job. Yeah, yeah. So that's before film reviewing. That was before review. Yeah, interesting. So because I've talked to Costa Botes on the other other podcast. And he was a film reviewer too, yeah. and uh, and a good film reviewer, you yes. know, as well as obviously a good filmmaker. But I didn't really think that many uh, f- film reviewers were filmmakers. Like I don't, I don't I very know. few are. Yeah, I think if I obviously it's a charge that's often yeah. leveled at reviewers. I get it all the time. Like, where's your band? Like, where's your album? Yeah, rah rah rah. And it's funny. No one you, ever says that to film reviewers. Really, I was just going to say, have you ever you had that? Because it's say, funny. You can actually say, well, yes, actually, I've worked on this. I've worked on this, and I, I, yeah. I made this. <laughs> it's funny. I mean, the, and the, Interesting. Yeah, the, the the public internet slash hatred. They always yeah. fall back on the same old script. Yeah. No one's ever said to me, "Well, where's your film?" If you and think you could actually show them, and I could actually bring up my IMDb yeah, page. Yeah, yeah, exactly. well, there they are. Yeah. yeah, yeah. What do you think? Yeah. I'm not saying. I'm not saying. I'm. Sc- yeah, it's yeah. like, well, yeah, I do actually know how a film set works. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think if I've got, if I've got one place where I've got a where I am worth reading, yeah, is that I can. I think I'm better than most most people who are reviewing. I'm probably yeah. better at picking what was the. I mean, film reviewers tend to say the director made the film. Yeah. Whereas I think I'm I'm probably better than average at picking out what actually the cinematographer and the editor. Yes. And pointing out exactly what they what part they played yeah. in the making of the film. Yes. As opposed to the director, who's the yeah. person who gets credited as the filmmaker. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. often a good director is working for the editor. Yeah. You know, and to to me, the editor of a film is is higher up the totem than a director. Yeah. yeah. The the I mean, the director is making sure the shots are being achieved on set on the day, but to really massage like the the feeling and the timing and the pace and the emotion mm. out of that raw material. That the director has provided the editor. Yeah, that's the editor's job. I mean, there's no Scorsese without Thelma Shoemaker. Yeah, yeah. I listened to. She's actually just been interviewed by Alec Baldwin for his podcast, and that is a fascinating conversation. Oh, she's because I, I mean, I'm I'm not always aware of the editor and stuff, but she's a classic example of someone who you become aware of because, mm. like, great cinematographer director pairings or great even yeah. great soundtrack composer director yeah. pairings. They've worked together since Raging Bull. Yeah, and uh, is it since Raging Bull? Yeah, yeah. Which I didn't actually know until I, you know, I didn't. I've got to confess, I didn't know that. I thought, and I think Alec Baldwin thought 
they've been together since like Boxcar Bertha or whatever. Yeah, but, I, I, you know, I thought like, she might or, go right back to Main Street. No, 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 no. She, but Scorsese they, himself was an editor. Yeah. That was his own training. Yeah. He's one of the, he, he edited um, or oh, shot edited a lot of Woodstock, right? That's right. Like, yeah, yeah. Not many people know that. Yeah, 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 yeah. So and she worked on Woodstock, I think, with him. So they do go back. Oh, that's fantastic. She, she talks about Woodstock. Yeah. I think she was involved in the editing process of that, but right. obviously because he's not counted yeah. as the director. I mean, you know, to me, a Scorsese De Niro was a collaboration. Yes, Scorsese Schumacher. Well, that's the greatest filmmaking collaboration of the of the twentieth yeah. of, of the late twentieth century. So she's just fascinating talking on that. It's yeah. great. It's really good. You, yeah. You've got to go and listen to that. But that's Scorsese so is masterful at giving yes. her the raw material that she needs. Yes. to make a great film. Yeah, but you know, the director's job, so much of it is on set, like making sure that making sure the editor has got the footage, got the coverage got the moments and the beats that they need to construct the symphony at the end. And so I can't remember her name, but Baldwin asks her, well, who who, who cut Taxi Driver? Right. And she says, oh, well, it was uh, such and such, which is, which is George Lucas's wife from the time. Huh. They're not together now, but yeah. like his wife then. Yeah. She was the editor of Taxi Driver. Huh. So that was kind of it interesting. It was a very, very, um, it was a very, nepotistic little world back then. But it's also like... Cause he's, you read um, yeah, Easy yeah. Riders and Raging Bulls yes, and yeah, you know, well the, that's, one that came before that. No, Easy yeah, Riders and Raging Bulls. That's the first one, isn't it? It's a great volume. That is Just amazing. Just how much... The, the fact that they all knew each other were all so hanging that, out at each other's bars. I right? haven't read a lot... I mean, I've read articles by that guy since I haven't read his other books. But that... Uh, yeah, Peter. Yeah, Peter, Peter Suskin, yeah. That book is amazing. Yeah. That book was like a little Bible to oh, me. Oh, you felt like yeah. you were... It, also it gave, took you there. It took you there. And some really horrible stories. There's that story about... De Niro kicking his girlfriend out of the car oh, the sort of the going up to a ski lodge around William, the time of William Peter Bradley's behaviour yeah. on the set of yes. The Exorcist yeah so it's like pretty much breaking pathological behaviour yeah. yeah but it's yeah. also you read that book and it gives you the confidence to go out there and give it a crack yourself yeah because you realise that these Coppolas and Scorseses and Lucases and Spielbergs yeah also had to start off with the money they had in their pocket and a bunch yeah, of money. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, it's a, it's, one of, it's a far more inspiring book than, than three years of film school will ever inspire you. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. You learn as much from it as well. Well, I always, here's the thing I always hold on to. I'm not saying that um, Scorsese's the greatest. I, mm. I like a lot sure. of his films a lot. He is one of, you know, yeah. the important directors and he's one of my favourites, And but he's not without, you know, fault and criticism. But I always hang on to the fact that I mentioned him to a friend of mine who was at film school, you know, 20 years ago, and she goes, well, he can't be any good because they've never mentioned him in my class. <laughs> and I was just like... So you darling, are, yeah. your film school's no good. Yeah, you need, to, like, you need to get it. Not talking exactly, because they should be talking about him. Like, yeah. it's, you know, they don't have to say he's the absolute greatest, but they should be mentioned. See, this him. is why I always call myself <laughs> a reviewer, not a critic. Yes. A film critic is someone who won't talk seriously about Scorsese because he's making popular films. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And will rather tell you about... A, I'm you not know, even going to name names or whatever, because, oh, like, no, but yeah, so-and-so, yeah. or Scorsese's influences, oh, no, but compared to Bunnell, it's like, yeah. actually, the movies are a popular medium. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Films have got a, there is a, a branch of film or a foundation the clue, of film, which is pure literature. The clue is in the fact that you sell tickets to them and... Mm. Uh, while people are waiting, you sell yeah. <laughs> popcorn. You know, like I mean, look, I mean, a popular film is not better than an unpopular film any yeah. more than Britney Spears is better than Patti Smith. It's, yeah, it's a ridiculous argument to Britney, make. Britney Spears is not better than Patti Smith. Exactly. You, ta- you take that back. That's, that's what I mean. It's like yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> using popularity as a gauge as a yes. gauge of, as a gauge of quality. Well, someone, is, is an idiot's argument. Yeah, someone said the or other day. I may say a stuff commentator's some, argument. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Someone said the other day, and they should have known better on one of my Facebook feeds. You know, I 
had a very mild dig about the new Lord song because right. I know I have to tread carefully where Lord's concerned because of things I've said before and because you know fuck it's a, it's a loser's situation to get into that but someone who I would have thought would have known better went uh, look on any YouTube clip of Royals and there's half a billion views it's pointless arguing against it and I felt like saying oh well Big Mac for dinner is it you know like you know, like, what's, yeah. what's, where do you follow that through to? Yeah. Like, what's, I mean, I what's like, the point of that? I'm not even going to get, I'm not going to get into music, but I'm no. saying, I'll say there was a level of film at which not every hundred million dollar blockbuster becomes a popular film. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can, there are good and bad of that genre yeah, yeah. as well. Yeah. I mean, I'll bang on all day long about how well Marvel are doing at the moment. Yeah. And how much I actually genuinely respect and admire films like Guardians of the Galaxy. Uh, the first Captain America, the second Captain America. I think these are these tick all the boxes, not just for being entertaining, but actually smartly written and very, very, very smartly assembled mm. and beautifully performed films. But also, but it doesn't. I mean, so that's that is overwhelming like global popularity, yeah, yeah. which I think is at that level also an accurate yardstick of whether the film was any good or not. Yeah, yeah. Because you get films that cost an equal amount of money that tanked. You know, but also, so that audience for those films don't actually. I mean, there's there's a common myth that they'll go and see them regardless. Yeah, of quality, yeah, and yeah. it's not actually true. So here's the thing I really value and respect and understand about what you do as a film reviewer too is that when I think that I might disagree with you on, and there's been probably several uh, examples, I also think, uh, essentially, good on you for thinking this. Do you know what I mean? Like, I just go, fuck, good on you. Like, you're you're out there saying what you're saying. And I don't agree with you at all. But yeah. I totally get why you... And, and I don't and I don't mean that in a... I don't mean that in any patronising. No, I know, no, I know yeah. better than you, because I don't. I think the important thing that any reviewer of any, of, any, um, of any type has to do is to be able to separate what they can appreciate and respect yeah. from what they personally like. But also but to... I, I can give four-star films re- reviews to films that I didn't personally like. Yes, as long as I go, that absolutely achieved its aims, yeah. and its aims were not reprehensible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a good film. Yeah, I might hate it. Yeah. Well, no, okay, I'm not going to hate it. No, but it's but not. You're, it's but not it's, your. It's not going to be total something I recommendation. Would ever pay yeah, yeah, exactly. To see myself, because you're in the privileged yeah. position as people see it. Right, came back to like to if, pay. if if you are the person that is inter- that sees the poster in that film and wants to pay twenty bucks. Yeah, yeah. yeah. My job is to try and tell you, is to try and put myself in your moccasins and say, yes. I think it's worth your twenty bucks. Yeah. Not say, oh, here's me, a man, a man of this age and this fucker papa who decided that I did or didn't like it. Nobody cares about that. Now, that's um, a reviewer's age. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now I want to ask you about. Um, Incidentally, I think it's why you get better as a reviewer as you get older. Yeah. Because the one thing you learn as you get older is you start putting away your own ego. Yeah. And you start developing empathy. Yeah. And I think empathy is the soul of reviewing. Yeah. That's why I think like, Ebert was doing the better, best work of his life in the last to, five years. Yeah, yeah, life. yeah, yeah. Yeah. Fuck. That means there's uh, luck for me yet. That's really good. <laughs> hey, I, I want to ask you about um, being the filmmaker who then gets reviewed, but I imagine, I mean, your your main film is your documentary about Barry Barclay. The, the only feature-length thing. That's your feature. Was, That's yeah. right. And so I was going to say, uh, you know, how were you with being reviewed? But I imagine that was reviewed fantastic because that is a beautiful film. I had, I had complete confidence in the, and I had complete confidence in the film. That is a beautiful film, but yeah. I only watched it recently. I yeah. saw little bits of it a while ago, uh, and and so many people told me 
at the time and after the time have you seen this is a beautiful film and so I wanted to wait to be able to say to you that it's a really extraordinary film it's it beautiful was a, well, it, was a, it was a collaboration between myself and Annie Collins the yeah. and we we I mean, we came back with all this material interviews I'd shot interviews that Waka Atwood had shot with me um, and and a beautiful selection of people who agreed to speak yeah and it came back with all this footage and kind of a vague idea of the shape and then the process between me and Annie Collins my editor was uh, it was it was a month of conversation. Yeah, and it was a it was a conversation I had with Rob Sarkis one night that actually cracked it for me. Yeah, that made that gave me the idea for the shape that I scampered back up the hill to Wadestown to end yeah. with the next day. And he said we were talking about the film and the, the fact that I was in the edit, and it was it was working well enough if we put it together chronologically. But I believe there was a better way of doing it. Yeah, and Rob Sarkis is a very talented filmmaker. Sure. I mean, this is the man who made Out of the Blue. Yeah, know? which is just just one of, one of the top five New Zealand yeah, films on anyone's list. Absolutely. He um, he said to me, "What's it really about?" I'm thinking, "Thanks, Rob." I mean, yeah, 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 yeah. I'm sitting here trying to have a whiskey, and I have to think about your esoteric question. But of course, it's the great question. It's the question I ask everybody. Yeah, I do a bit of script reviewing and script assessment now. Yeah. I talk to young you know, filmmakers, young and old, who've got projects, yeah. and they run them past me. And I always, yeah. I now steal Rob Saki's question. Yeah, and I yeah. say, "What's it actually about?" Yeah, and saying, "Oh, it's about a man who climbs a tree and falls out of a tree." That's not what your film's about. Yeah. And, I, and it, it took me back to a quote from Barry that isn't even in the film. It was off camera. He was talking about making the, um, the Tangata Whenua series. And he's talking about that he went to, the, went to the East Coast. He said, I went up that hill a filmmaker and I came back down a Maori filmmaker. And I was like, that's what the that's film's about. That's what the film's about, It was yeah. about the transition from him being the person who loved his, his bunel and his beautiful... Another yeah. way of saying it's about him finding his voice yeah. through the camera, through... This is know. somebody who thought Hiroshima Mon Amour was his favourite film of all time. Yeah. Suddenly getting in touch with the fact because he went out to... He went out to Tuhoi country. So... Where suddenly got in touch with the fact that you didn't have to be a filmmaker in a European or Asian or American tradition. You could actually be a filmmaker in a Maori tradition and almost being the first person to achieve that. So your film is both a wonderful documentary and also an introduction to the subject but I was kind of like it was actually watching your film that made crystallised for me that actually probably nine times out of ten that's what a documentary should be it should be an introduction to the subject in terms of to mm. their works to who not just to who they are but to I think Barry wouldn't even like it being an introduction to his films he'd like it to be an introduction to his idea yeah and his sure. idea effectively was if you're going to make a film about indigenous people sure then you've got to you've got to be on the inside looking out you can't be on the outside looking in yeah if you're I mean the film is called The Camera on the Shore yeah because he has this wonderful analogy of what if Captain Cook had sailed up with a camera and filmed, and filmed yeah, the Maori yeah. on the shore but how much more interesting would it have been if the Maori had had the camera and they'd filmed the white man arriving yeah yeah and how much more would that tell us about our culture than it, than, than, than the camera's got to be internal not external yes. if it's going to say anything of value about a culture that's not your own yeah, yeah. and I hold that to this day yeah. like I go and see something like Scorsese's Silence and I really respect that because he, he got his camera inside those tiny 17th, uh, 17th century Japanese villages and he looked out at the Europeans I've heard nothing but good things about that oh, I haven't seen it yet beautiful film how the, how the hell that avoided yeah. getting an Academy Award nomination for Best Film or winning cinematography I just don't know yeah. it's like yet again the curse of Scorsese yeah, yeah, yeah. Wins it once for a minor film. For, exactly. Wins for it a, once for The Departed, can't win it for The Aviator. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. 
Um, so what does that experience do for you as a film, you become a filmmaker? What does that experience do for you as a film reviewer and as a film watcher? And what does it do for you as a filmmaker? Um, specifically, it gave me a real heightened appreciation of exactly what editors do in films. Yep. Um, it gave me a great deal of sympathy and or empathy for anyone who manages to get anything low budget off the ground and turn into watchable film. Yep. It was like, you always have to take my hands off to you. Yeah. Um, if you if you make something watchable and you do it on a you do it on a budget where you're effectively getting less than the social welfare department could have paid you for doing this for doing no work. Yeah. Which yeah we did for four years. Yeah. I mean there's a, there's moments in that film where you can't where the sound's pretty bad, and you can hear the cicadas and you have to sort of whatever the oral equivalent of peer at the screen a little bit is to make to make. I just thought that was all very real. Like I just. Well, the reason for that is I had the I had financially I had the choice between sure. eighty bucks for a tank of diesel to get me to the ho- <laughs> to get me to the Hokianga, or yeah. sixty bucks to rent a radio mic off of Rocket Rentals to be in the Hokianga with. Yeah. And I had to choose the diesel because I had to get there. Yeah. So there's interviews that were shot just with the camera mic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 And it was like that. That's the level of film. That's the level I was working at. It was like I've got eighty dollars. I'm going to go make some more of my film. It's another example to me of like I just I just recently also watched the the Poye documentary. You know I haven't seen it. Oh, it's wonderful. I was, I think, was, in, well, I was in New York when it came out. I haven't seen it. Yeah. So it's uh, I just watched it the other week and actually I would it's weird to line it up. Well sort of having just watched your doco from what eight years before that or so seven or eight years before that seven yeah yeah they line up really well because they both do this wonderful job of celebrating something that is I guess in the scheme of things maybe slightly maybe a little bit minor in the whole arc of New Zealand mm-hmm. but actually to people who give a shit there's yeah. so much more than a lot of this other stuff that's celebrated this... and they go deeper with the backstory yeah. so they, they actually line up really well and so watching your doco pit it against that made me realise how good we are at like mm. how many stories we have got to tell still yeah. and how good we are at, at finding a real arc well, I, think, I mean this is probably true of music as well and I'm going to be slightly contentious here but it strikes me all the ninety percent of the stories that have come out of New Zealand that have achieved that mythical universality, yeah, or have actually been worth exporting, or even yeah. worth telling to ourselves, yeah, they've been wrapped in a brown package, and I think a great deal of that's probably true for a great deal of our music as well. Like the one thing that stops us being a fairly tedious little outpost of the British Commonwealth, yeah, is the fact that we have this rich, beautiful, bone deep cultural tradition of the Maori world, Te Ao yeah, yeah, and yet. At the same time, it's very obvious when you come back into this country after six months away, that for a tiny little place where fuck all happens, people manage to be really bigoted. Yeah, yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. It's like there's hardly anyone here, and yeah. nothing really goes on of any great import yeah. that often. Yeah. You know, earthquakes and mining disasters notwithstanding, not really much happens here. Yeah. And I'm not disrespecting, obviously. No, no, no. But um, people still find it within themselves to be extremely judgmental yep. and parochial and provincial. And fucking racist in this yeah, country. Yeah. And then you get me started on misogynism. It's like, you know, set the controls of the mid 1970s. You're back in Pakeha, New Zealand. Yeah. And I just don't get it. I don't understand it. We yeah. should be the most outward looking, genuinely liberal, genuinely abrasive <laughs> yeah, cult- exactly. culture on the, on, the, on the planet. 20, the planet's history. 20 and 30 years ago, we had all these really 
simple things that we could say we were like was interesting about how small we were like how yeah. our our fucking banking trends were picked up by other people in the world because we were small enough well we, we could be used as a we could be used yeah. as a yeah 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 but but it hasn't caught on from there that no. we could actually be a I mean I'm, we're old enough to remember like the New Zealand of Longy yeah and the first couple of years of the Clark government when yeah. you suddenly were well we actually are striding the world stage yeah like a like a Scandinavian country yeah like we actually we can hold our head up as being social leaders in the world Probably. and we were addressing race relations in a way we could go well we're not perfect but we're better than them Australians, we're better than Canadians, but we're a lot big, better than them the Americans. The big problem with that was the baby boomers weren't getting their kickback, so like that's why that didn't work out for apparently anyone. You know, like, it's like I was saying to someone the other day, like, I, I found America, I mean, I spent time in Colorado, which is Trump land. Yeah. I think it went Trump, but it's certainly Trumpish. Yeah. And then time in New York City. Yeah. And in America, which is not. In America, you meet people who are racist. Yeah. Like, you'd be sitting in a bar having a perfectly lovely conversation with someone who looks like you and thinks like you, and they'll suddenly turn around and go, well, I'm going to vote so-and-so because I don't like insert racial empathy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you go, oh, she's... And in a weird way, it's refreshing because you know who you're talking to and you know what their beliefs are. It's not as closeted as here. Come back to New Zealand and everybody pretends blandly to be colourblind. And very few people in this country are colourblind. Yeah. It's this nasty, skulky... Yeah, we we joke around we joke around the barbecue with the people of our own sort about this sort of stuff. Yeah. But we don't actually openly address the fact. You see, it's a racist fucking country. Yeah. You know. Yeah. And we 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 point the finger at Australia and say, oh, look at them over there, they're racist. So well, some are. We do that a lot, though, don't we? We we do that not just with that. Like uh, we, I mean, even pre-Trump. Yeah. We would go like, our country's people would complain and say our country's like you know very right wing and you get people say we're not as right wing as America America's got a left wing government in, yeah. but it's still more right than us and whether America's, that's true or not is completely fucking irrelevant too. America's like, getting on for half a billion people you can yeah. always find more nutters there because there's hundreds of millions more people living there but it's completely um, non- um, argumentative, yeah. well, not argumentative, but you know, it's not entering into the discussion. No, to people just will look at some Louis Thoreau documentary and say, "Oh, look at those! That yeah, yeah, the, the church, look at of, the freaks, the look church the of Westboro. That's what America's yeah, yeah, like. Yeah. No, that's that's about thirty-five people out of three hundred and fifty, four hundred million people. Yeah, it's like yes, I'm, I'm sure New Zealand's probably got one person like that. We don't say it's representative of our culture. Yeah, but America gets held up and photographed and broadcast. And then people with nothing better to do, who really should know better, yeah. decide to turn that into a headline as though it was representative of the culture. Well, actually, your basic American, I find, uh, friendlier and more open-minded yeah, yeah. than a lot of the attitudes I run into here. Yeah. Yeah, I've done a couple of trips to America in the last four or five years, and I've enjoyed them immensely and the people that I've met. But I can't, I haven't stayed there long enough to understand whether that's because I'm on a lovely holiday glide time where mm. I've got time for people too and where yeah. I'm open to the idea that, you know, well, for a start, I don't have to work, I'm on a holiday and yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm open to any experience. But So you went to America, you've been to America in the last year a couple of times. Yeah, the last 10 You're, months I've spent eight months, last 10 months I've spent eight months in New York. Yeah. And so what was the impetus for that? I just wanted to get the hell away. Yeah, it was I, time to get away and yeah. do... Because I was going to say, so you largely... 
yeah. upheld your Kiwi responsibilities from there, you continued to submit film reviews. Well, I had to work. Yeah. Yeah, I, I had very little in the way of savings. Yeah. I might, you know, I had enough. I had enough stashed away to so I said, right, I've got three months' rent in my back pocket if I yeah. really need it. But I was going to have to keep on. Yeah. I had to keep on running Crew Wellington and Crew Auckland because yeah. they pay me. They pay me a bit of money each week. Yeah. And I had to keep on doing the reviews because yeah. that was enough to actually not just not just subsist, but actually maybe get a beer once in a while. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was very happy to do that. And it's a yeah. really it's a great culture to do it. And I had to pay for my own tickets. Yeah, Ninety percent of the time. Yeah, and you know, travel across town to find a screening. But man, when you got the New York subway system, that's a pleasure. Yeah, yeah. So I was yeah. there for four months of like midsummer, and then four months of basically the depths of winter. Yeah, and I absolutely love the place. Yeah, but at the same time, it's tough. You know, I wasn't there. I wasn't there on holiday. I wasn't there to. I wasn't there knowing when I was going to come back. I always entered on a one-way ticket and didn't yeah. come home until I had a, a pressing reason to do so. Yeah. Um, and I was living in tough places. Like people tell me they went to oh, New York and where did you stay? And I had some little Airbnb on the Lower East Side. I was like, well, I was in Bed Stuy. Yeah. You know, and it's not it's not what it would have been ten years ago when Spike Lee was making films there. But it's still it's still a neighborhood where you don't walk home at two o'clock in the morning too readily, unless you know exactly where you're headed. You also uh, tapped into a thing that I guess writers do. Uh, you started writing a little bit about these experiences you were having, mm. largely on Facebook yeah. as a medium, which was interesting too. But um, well, I'm too lazy to start a blog, so I just right. blog on Facebook. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, there's nobody in it. Let me tell you that. So exactly. don't you know? At least with as, Facebook, they pay the back end support. You know? Yeah, 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 yeah. They they assure that it's going to get seen by. Yeah. Um, so, what was that experience like, and and what? Well, the writing. Experience. Yeah, yeah. What do you feel you got um, from that? And because I followed your posts with interest, and and I know a lot of people did. There was one I had to delete because it just got too personal. There was one yeah. I'd written after a, a bucket load of Jamison. Right, one night I was going to say too much to drink. Yeah, too much to drink, and just like exposed a bit too much. Right, and like and I got up in the morning, and there was the usual so many dozens of likes and comments and yeah, smiley yeah, faces yeah. and laughy faces. And you start looking through. And it. I looked at it and went, "Oh, actually, that's a cry for help." Right, you know, delete. Yeah. Yeah. That, no, I'm not sharing that. I've, yeah. I've shared a lot of stuff on Facebook. Yeah, yeah. I've shared the fact that I was raped as an 11-year-old on Facebook. But what I wrote that night, I went, no, that's all, that's all mental health stuff. Yeah. yeah, yeah. We we all end up sharing too much on it, don't we? I mean, even the people that say, oh, I don't share that much, I just do this and that, we all end up yeah. giving away. But at the same time, you look, you, know, you look across my Facebook page and you wouldn't be able to tell whether I was single, coupled, gay or straight. Like right. my actual, there's a level at which my personal life never infringes on my public life. Yeah. 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 But then again, if I had kids, they'd be all over it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's 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 interesting. Like I, you know, went, oh, I'm never going to share a photo of our kid on Facebook. Well, what happens kid. when you do? And then you have one, and you do like. And now I go places, yeah. and people go, "Oh, this is." This is the famous Oscar, and I go, oh God, what have I fucking done? Like, well, I, mean, I said the same thing as you I did. In. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm now I've, I feel bad about that, but no, 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 At the same time, it's like you don't all have of to. all of my friends on Facebook, and I've got as you, yeah. I've got a ridiculous number of them. I've got, a, yeah. I've got an army there. Everyone, everyone just shares photos of their kids all the yeah, time. Yeah, the yeah. moments when they're proud, when their kids looking their best, when their kids yeah. achieved. Yeah. It's like I think that's a good thing to do. I think I don't see that as being unhealthy for the kid. No, there's no overexposure of like, oh look, he made a fool of himself. It's like. Look at what a great day he had today. Look at this thing he built. And I, you, think, I think that's positive. We're all we're all uh, we're all still learning how 
how to work this shit and what it means too. You know what I mean? Like, so yeah. we're all still kind well, we of the first generation I mean, that's actually had that's what I mean. social like, that's actually had social media. Facebook's been around for a while, but it's still pretty fucking new. Yeah. Like, I remember looking at it back in about twenty oh eight when I was first exposed to it. And I just went. Oh, that's awful. Yeah, why would you bother? If I want to talk to a friend, I'll just go down the I'll cafe. I'll pick up the phone. Yeah, I sound like a guest on Jim Moore's The Panel. It's like, oh, but they're not your real friends, are they? It's like, look at me now, 2,000 of the bastards. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course they're not my real friends. I wouldn't recognise 1,950 of them walking down the street. Yeah, yeah. But they are my village. Yeah, they're clued into what you're doing. Yeah. And whatever level they want to be. Yeah. And you can call on, you can find out if you can call on them. Yeah, you know, and and uh, I find look, I find I, to me it's um it's it's the village pub. Yeah, you know, and there's times when, especially when I was you know in New York, and I literally knew no one for the yeah. first couple of weeks there. Yeah. I didn't know a I didn't know a soul. You can do within, your within twenty k's of where I was living, except for one friend who was like way across town, three subway rides away, and she's a mother of a very young child. Mm. So I wasn't going to be going around to her every night and going, "Hey, let's have some beers and talk about stuff," because. Actually, I'm completely by myself in a city of 11 million people right now, and it's snowing. Yeah. Um, so I found Facebook was an absolute lifeline. Yeah. I'd quite happily sit in a bar and have a couple of beers and chat to people on Facebook. It's nice to be in contact with your friends. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And and you find out at what level people want to engage with things. Yeah. Too. You know. I like, found the same thing. Like of the thousands of people, it comes down to the same couple of dozen. Yeah, and then. If you want to reach out to someone, um, you can have a pretty special uh, situation that you might not have got otherwise. Mm. Like I always say to people, you know, like I was very, I mean, God, I'm on Facebook all the time, but I was very resistant of it for a long time. But I always use the example, when I was writing a book about New Zealand songs, Mm. I wanted to cover uh, Don't Dream It's Over by Crowded House. The, one of the members of the band was dead, one of the members was completely removed to me and, and I didn't think it would be very helpful with the, with the, anything to do with the writing of that song. And then Neil Finn, uh, I reached out to and he was not available, didn't want to talk. Right. the story that I got from his manager yeah. and I understand that, like probably it was due to some stuff that I'd said at the time. But I then go, oh, who can I talk to? Oh, there's uh there's, um, I know who, the, thanks, I know who there is, um, there, is there another one there? I, I go, I know who there is, oh that's right, I could reach out to the producer of that song, because the producer of that song right. would have some very interesting stories, you know, like, was and, that my chum or? No, 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 it was, um, it was a guy called Mitchell Fruit. Oh, Mitchell Fruit is Mitchell a very Fruit. famous, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, international, yeah. so I go, how do I get in touch with Mitchell Fruit? Oh, I know, I'll see if he's on Facebook. Yeah. Oh, I know, I'll message him. And 10 minutes after messaging him, he writes back to me and says, you know, I do my spiel. He writes back to me and says, hi. Because uh, I just sort of said, I don't know if you know this or not, but this song is actually a pretty big deal in New Zealand. I'm yeah. sure you've got some awareness, but it's actually a really big deal. You know, would you like to talk about it? Rah, 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 it's for a book. And he writes back and says, um, hey, I'm not doing anything tomorrow. Here's my phone number. Give me a call. And so the next day, I talked to him for two hours. And you've got your chapter. I've not only got my chapter, he tells me about arranging strings for Pixar movies for Randy Newman. Right. You know, working with Randy on the scores for the Pixar. He... I'm a massive Suzanne Vega fan, so I say to him, I know that they've broken up, that they're divorced, but I say to him, can we talk about that? He's like, of course we can talk about that. I'm 
you know, I'm very proud of the work I did with her musically. Like yeah. everything else is awful, but um, <laughs> we can talk about that. He produced Elvis Costello. He produced Dave Dobbin. So he, he talks about Elvis all of Costello, it. Didn't yeah, yeah. So he talks about all of it. Shit, he played in the Latin Playboys. I said, "Oh, what was?" And he goes, "That was probably one of the greatest things in my life." And I said, "Why?" And he goes, "Well, duh. I was on stage with David Hidalgo, you know, from Los yeah, Lobos. Yeah, He's yeah. like, that's that's the greatest position you can ever be in." He told me so many good stories, better than you'd ever get from any. And then I said to him, "Do you mind if I like?" you know, borrow some of this shit, use some of this stuff somewhere else. He's like, fuck, I don't give a shit. Like, I I don't imagine anyone cares what I do. Like, I'm just a record producer. Like, why would anyone care about, you know, in the nicest possible way, yeah. like, not really defeatist. He just said, it's all yours, man. You, like, you reached out, yeah. and here I was. And to this day, that's always my argument of why, apart from anything else, Facebook's quite good. Because I'd have been sitting there going, how do I scratch together this fucking chapter? Yeah. The opening chapter and of the book. And you virtually finish up with the book. The most imper- Yeah, I yeah. Could, have gone, <laughs> could have gone on to do a whole book with him about yeah. his things based on that, you know. Uh, so that, to me, has always been the advert for Facebook. Like, you get it, yeah. you get out of it what you put in. Oh, and as far as anything that puts people in genuine contact with each other, yeah. it's got to be a force of good. Yeah. You know? I guess it can become a like an echo chamber. Yeah. But it doesn't have to be. As long as you use it intelligently, it stops being an echo chamber. Yeah. It does allow you to reach out, allows you to promulgate ideas, allows you to get in touch with people or stay in touch with people that otherwise you simply wouldn't be in touch with. Yeah. It's like I've got, you know, I've remade friendships when I was 16. I've re-established yeah. relationships with um, relatives I've got in England who I haven't yeah. seen in the flesh since I was five years old. Yeah. You know? Yeah. But they're now... We can chat on Facebook now in a way that we would have been lucky to have bumped into each other at funerals once every five years otherwise. Yeah, yeah. You know, I love it. Yeah. Like anything gets people communicating. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's got to be a positive. So as a person who watches what, I would say half, up to half a dozen films a week and sometimes more than that, but yeah, up, probably I mean, on average minimum, three, minimum, three, minimum three. Three to six films a week. Three and, to six, yeah. And, I don't know if I watch that much now, but I guess on average I've, I've certainly been vaguely in that ballpark. I bet you listen to more albums than I do. Yeah, possibly, but maybe not as closely as I should have. It depends who you ask. Um, but, <laughs> but uh, you know, like, how do you stop yourself from feeling jaded with film? Have you ever felt that way? Are you constantly excited no. by the medium? I've never felt jaded by it. There's times when I thought, God, I wouldn't mind a week off reviewing right now. Yeah, and we yeah you know, we all get like that. It's like yeah. oh my job, do I really have to spend yeah, yeah. Wednesday doing this? But without a word of a lie, that moment where I sit there and the lights go down and the screen flares into life, yeah, I still feel like that. You're ten- excited by the possibility. I'm, still, I'm that ten year old boy. Yeah, yeah. Every single time, going, oh, tell me a great story. Yeah, you know. Yeah. And ten minutes in, when you go, oh, this is looking good, and it's, it's yeah. even better. I love that. It's like being jaded of film is like being jaded of books. Yeah, it's you like get, you're just not reading widely enough if you're jaded. But do you get jaded? I mean, you said like I'd like a week off reviewing, but do you get jaded with the concept that, God, I've got to get outside and write about this, if not straight away, then tomorrow? No, I've got my own tricks around that. The only, got, you get used to that. I mean, that well, you get used to doing it. You. But I also, I mean, like part of my enjoyment of watching a film, if I'm absolutely loving the film, then there's a little bit of the, There's a few synapses in the back of my head that are going, oh, I'm going to say this, I'm going to say this, and I'm going to try and get these people to watch it. And if I'm absolutely loathing a film, I'm sitting there going, yeah. ooh, 
you know, set, my, set the phases for scathe because I'm going to have fun writing this one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. The only thing I can't stand is a film that's moderately good. Yeah, I was going to say... slightly tedious. I always say to people, the hardest review to write is the, th- is the three-star I'm, album, I've never the two-and-a-half-star album. Yeah. Um, 11 years, I made myself a promise because you know, Tom Cowdy said, oh, you've got to use the star system. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Because I've been free of that for the previous yeah, four yeah, years. Yeah. Start with the Dominion Post, have to use the star system. And I made myself a promise week one that I would yeah. never write a three-star review. Yeah. And I never have 11 years. And it gets into your blood too, because I was going to say, like, the, the the this year I paid for my own tickets to um, Nick Cave and PJ Harvey as right. concerts I just wanted to go to. Yeah. Just experience music I've you know loved for so long I've, I've I'd seen both acts before yeah. but I really wanted to catch them this year and then of course what did I do I turned around and I got home and I wrote really long reviews about both things yeah. and they're probably two of the favourite things I've written this year I would say you know like and they you know and I there was nothing on there was no reason for me to write them other than I felt like I wanted to like you could argue that I've got some sort of audience that wanted to connect with it but only because I posted it I'm, I've got an exactly an analogous experience yeah. which is the, um, the Nick Cave uh, Andrew Dominic documentary yeah right I don't know what it's called one more, one more time with one feeling one more time with feeling because I, 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 I haven't seen that yet I don't watch it no I love the film but I mean the, the album yeah, I just didn't. It wasn't because of that. I think it was just. I think the the first time it screened, it wasn't possible. And then after that, I just I, I'd already immersed myself in the album, and then I went to the show. But I will watch it at some point. What was that? It was on. I think it was on the Thursday night and a Saturday night. Mm. Mm. It was the only times it was screened. And the Saturday night performance was at Reading's. Yeah. It was half past nine, and because it was a special event, tickets sold through Ticket Yeah. I have to pay for my own ticket. Yeah. And I thought I want to see this. Yeah. And. Um, Fairfax hadn't asked for a review, so I had no. Oh, I re- yeah, you posted it on Facebook, so and then no, it turned into a review for that. Yeah. There was no compulsion. Sorry, that's a gorgeous story, but I'm, I'm just remembering it. the film, and yeah. it was like there would have been probably two thirds full. Yeah. And it was. Um, people say you could have heard a pin drop. It wasn't just that. Looking out, nobody said a word until yeah. until people were on the footpath, like all the way down the escalator yeah. at Reading's, all the way through that horrible food court. Um, there was not a sense, there was not a moment of anyone saying, oh, what did you think? Oh, that was quite good, wasn't it? There was like none of that at all. No, everyone was immobilised, nobody could speak. Yeah. And I, I wandered back, you know, 100 metres back down the road to the Mock House. Saturday night, the All Blacks just finished playing the test. Yeah. And set my laptop up in the corner and bought myself a ginger beer and a coffee and just had this rant on Facebook, which finished up being half a page in the dog post and the most read and shared thing I've done all year, I think. Because I'm pretty sure I um, looked to it in my review of the album because yes, I did. yeah 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 so uh, that's why I kind of spoiled your story there because I was like yes you did you wrote yeah. this thing as a Facebook post first and you basically said this one's for free you know yeah, like think, I'm not I think that's the only actual unpaid review I've just got, yeah. I'm just going to do this one because I love the film mm, mm. so you're right I mean you get it as well the part of the pleasure yeah. of the viewing experience or the listening experience becomes thinking not that you're going to piggyback in an egotistical way yes. on the back of their success. Yeah, 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 that's right. But that it's actually inspired you to say, I really want to say something about this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And praise be, maybe I can get more people to go and see it. And also, and like... Was, what it, they brought it back about a month yeah, later. Yeah, yeah. And it put it on the lighthouse for yeah. one screening. Yeah. And they finished up selling six... They sold out six consecutive screenings yeah, of them. Yeah, yeah, wow. And yes, I'm going to take some credit for that. Yeah, I'm really of proud of that because I just brought people's attention to an incredible of piece of art. And I was going to say, this this, this feeds into this thing where... Uh, and we have to be careful 
maybe talking about it because it can sound pretty, pretty ego driven or whatever. It's not, but it's not. But that's that's where the concept of writing a review of criticism or reviewing yeah. is its own art form. It is like in the in the yep. in this particular piece of art inspires you to go off and make your version of an art. That's what you do. That's like yeah. But I mean, it's also I thought I mean at its at its most base and beautiful level, it's also necessary social service. Yeah. I mean, you get to hear all these records, which you'd like to be, which you'd like to expose to people above and beyond whatever their meager marketing budgets yeah. might be. Yeah. I'm the same with films. If I can get somebody to go and see something they might not otherwise have seen yeah. that they genuinely love and which broadens their mind just a tiny little bit. Um, I'm not claiming my mind's the broadest in yeah, the world, yeah. but if I can, if I can get somebody to see a film that they will love that they might not otherwise have seen, yeah. that just makes it all worthwhile. So before you went away to the states, you were a bit of a regular drive DJ on active, and you've sort of popped back into to doing that. You've you've also been the breakfast DJ when they've needed one, yeah. and and I think at various other times during the day you've been able to fill in and and you told me earlier that you'd always had sort of a background in student radio I want to know what your sort of what your approach is to doing that and what joy you get out of that uh, it's I guess it's much like film reviewing if I can play something mm. to somebody that they haven't heard before which they love or yeah or together. they haven't heard for ages. Yeah, is another thing. I do, yeah, my, my yeah, show yeah. is at least because I was going to say, I following your playlists. Yeah, you're playing a lot of old stuff too. So yeah. like that could be first time anyone's heard that, but it yeah. could also be like uh, I had a lovely moment a little while. I remember like last year I put on O'Malley's Bar, the mm, whole 15 mm, minute, mm. you know, blood soaked, profane Tarantino film, and Tar- Tarantino <laughs> film as Nick Cage yeah. learns, which I yeah. can't believe that nobody's ever written a short film. Yeah, yeah. But I played O'Malley's Bar, and before I put it on, I said, "Isn't it?" great to know that somewhere out there someone's about to hear this for the first time in their life yeah because i remember when i did yeah and i was like immobile i can totally time. remember where i was when no, i first saw that yeah. i remember it very well just wow. going, no no shut up don't talk oh, just listening to this incredible short story being unveiled i loved i loved and it about it. 10 minutes later on twitter or probably 15 and a half minutes later on yeah. twitter came in well the dj on radioactive just said and i listened to all of it and he's right it was fucking amazing okay. and i was like I lived in a, I lived in a uh, bed sit up to the Quarry Road and a friend of mine came around to my house to basically borrow my computer at the time because they were quite rare yeah. among students to write an essay and to basically do an all-nighter and he bought with him that album and then halfway, yeah, halfway through his essay writing stint he goes oh I'm going to have a bit of a break and I've got to play you this you know, yes. so I bought it around and I was sort of smoking my cigarettes at the time and, and standing outside and listening and then you know I flip, he flicked through a couple of songs and he goes you know you can, you can, you can hang on to this but you've just got to listen to this whole thing this yeah. now this is like quarter of an hour long and I totally rem- I can totally every time I hear it I think about that I think about standing on the front doorstep of this tiny little bed and smoking a cigarette with a fucking you know lava lamp inside and all this kind of you know all this kind of cliche shit yeah, yeah. but it was just perfect it was just utterly perfect it was brand new and it was yeah. brand new to me and I wasn't much of a Nick Cave fan it was really my introduction to Nick Cave you know the first few times I, really what I knew him from was the ship song and at the time I thought that was fucking dreadful because I, <laughs> I only knew that in the yeah. context of the Triple J Hottest 100 and I just thought yeah. it was shit it was I thought of, it, was, it was kind of the grunge wedding I track, thought it was it? yeah I just thought yeah. it was I just thought it was over the top bullshit and then I went very quickly yeah. through everything from Murder Villains back somebody called it and, and got somebody talking about the ship song they said it's 
<laughs> they set it up. It's stairway to heaven for people to check shirts. <laughs> and it, you know, it possibly still is, but it, you know, yeah. like, and the thing was, I've seen that cave three times, and so I've seen him play the ship song three times because yeah. you don't get away without playing that. Yeah. And earlier this year, when he played it, it was probably, and he trotted it out like a total greatest hit. It yeah. was just like, right, we're seven songs into the night. Fuck yes. it, you guys want this? But it was beautiful. It was just yeah. like, God, man, because it's that song now. Everyone brings their own baggage to that song, you know? Everyone brings their own yeah. connection and their own feeling to that and song. As a, as a piece of romantic lyricism, it, yeah. it still holds up. Of course. You know, whatever whatever cheese we thought it had laid mm. on it back in, back in the 1990s-whatever, yeah. it's not actually those are strong lyrics. No, no, and yeah. well, it's that thing, you know, you said before about with reviewing this, it's like you get a bit older and it's the same with listening to music, isn't it? And, and, which is not just... <laughs> Not at all to say that the youth of today have nothing because yeah. they, they've got plenty. Well, no, they've got the, they've, but you just do. There are just certain things. You just that, chuck away all your cheap adolescent cynicism. I was just going to say that. Yeah, to you, to what's actually good. You know, you know what? Um, desperate for the quick line. You know, like yeah. you, when you're young, you're uh, you know you're quick to dismiss things because it's funny or yeah. uh, because it's expected of you or whatever. And then like you know. I, know, I walk into any film with, a, with a, an implicit understanding that whoever I'm about to judge, they've made a fucking movie. Yeah. All I'm going to do is sit down and spit out 350 words. Yeah. I'm not pretending... You've got the... I'm not pretending for a second that what got, I'm doing <laughs> even exists on the equates, same planet yeah. as what they've achieved. Yeah, yeah, And I guess yeah. what came back to before, the fact that I've actually made a film, is really gives me that... I know, because that, that was four and a half years of poverty. Yes. Whereas like writing a film review was 45 minutes of coffee. You know, yeah. Yeah, it's yeah. like there is yeah. a difference, and yeah. any film reviewer who adopts that tone that in some way the act of writing a review is equal yeah. is equal to the act of making the film. Yeah, I have got no time for what I'm not mentioning any names. If you've uh, you've steadfastly been a film reviewer too uh, to me, like rather than uh, I haven't really seen you comment on DVDs. You know, no, I used to on, a TV column at the camp. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say, you're yeah. very much a film reviewer. And so it's about, I mean, I'm sure, you know, obviously you get screener discs and links and things yeah. like that, but it's very much about the experience of watching a film yeah. that's just out now or just oh, about no, to come to out. To tell you the truth, if Fairfax asked me to do a DVD, well, not a DVD mm. column, but a download Well, a DVD column. column would be very old now. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. So if you look, send me back to 1996 and do a DVD column. Yeah. No, um, if I mean if they asked me to do a TV column again yeah. or something like or a download column, yeah. I'd happily jump at it. But I mean, the re- the economic reality is that stuff's going to be in house now. Yes, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. You know, as you've discovered, I'm probably going to discover <laughs> yeah. sometime before too long. Yeah, it's like yeah. they're not going to pay it. They're not going to pay extra for outsiders to come in. Yeah, It'll yeah. Be fobbed off to so and so in the art department. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Which is funny because I mean that's how I I mean that's that's how I came to it. I mean that's how I got in was arguing that, you know. Uh, I I got into the Dominion Post or the Evening Post at the time by saying, you just give these CDs to people who work here doing stories about cats stuck up trees and, you know, yeah. the latest building that's opening or closing and they don't give a fuck about it. No, it's yeah. Which is that idealism and, and that be, passion yeah. of a young, you know, a young... I was a, might have yeah. even been nearly a teenager, just about, not quite. But, you know, it's that it's that sort of... And you can make the point. You're giving you can argue to people who yeah. probably, let's be snobs about it, got ZML on the car. And yeah. It's like you're actually... it's. You're sending along people who've never played the game to review the review the rugby test yeah. match. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, so I used to 
have that idealism about it, but now I'm like, oh well. And it's funny because it's gone back to newspaper reviews, maybe not for film, but for music, probably are for people with quite a closed mind. <laughs> minded approach perhaps so, yeah. you know if anything which is sad well I wonder if this country is going to be becoming more closed minded as we go as well I think it's, it's not it's certainly not becoming any more adventurous in its tastes it's tricky isn't it it's like I, like I've got my own site I review films occasionally yeah. and, 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 and occasionally I get sent links to things but mostly it's I went to a film and I decided I, w- I want to say something about it and I still do DVD reviews for exactly that reason. I've just caught up with something and watched it, and I, I feel like I want to say something about it. Yeah. And I get the odd person say, like, you know, what's the point in reviewing a DVD? We've all seen it at the movies if we wanted to see it, or we've all downloaded it. And it's yeah. like, well, no, you haven't. Like, so it's like, very weird, we're... that sort of that sort of attitude. And I've all, I also get, like, uh, what I've started doing is my cutoff for reviewing an album now is... I don't mind if it's been out up to a year. Yeah. Like that's, you know, why try and be first and, and you've got nothing to say. Yeah. I reviewed a, a, a Willie Nelson album the other week that has been out for just coming up a year, but I had, I finally connected with it, felt like I wanted to say something about it, said it, don't, don't actually think I said anything particularly important or profound about it, but got several comments from people and feedback going, oh, wicked, I didn't know this was out. Well, when did this come out? And it's like, actually, it's been out for a year. But There's such a deluge of material yeah, out there now that everything, everything's a new release because yeah. nobody, nobody can catch up with what actually is the new mm, release. Mm. Unless you're Taylor Swift or Lord, nobody knows what came out last year. Yeah, week. yeah, yeah, or Ed Sheeran yeah. or... Yeah. Well, exactly, apart yeah. from that very select galactic stars. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Then the fact that Willie Nelson put a new album out last year was news to me. Yeah, I and, he, and, it, and I like Willie Nelson. Yeah, yeah. and it, and it, and it was great. And he's yeah. actually done two more since. You know, it's because yeah. he's actually pretty prolific. I, mean, I think yeah, if you're putting out a piece of music, you're putting out a piece yeah. of film, you're writing a piece of literature. What you are doing is participating in a conversation, mm. and I think everybody who's got something valid to say or even invalid to say mm. has got a right to join the conversation. Yeah, that's and that's that's to me that's reviewing. It's simply joining the conversation that that Willie Nelson or Patti Smith decided to start. So, how do you deal with, um, what's the word, uh, negative comments, detractors, how, what's I've your had, experience been of that? Have you had much of that, uh, really? Yeah, I've had, I've been sent, twice I've been sent anonymous emails, or emails mm. from the same mm. um, blind address, um, yeah. telling me to commit suicide. Right. Uh, so I've had that, and it's probably about as bad as it gets. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I've had, there's a YouTube clip of me naming me as the worst film reviewer in the world. I was world, just going to say, there's a YouTube clip. Which thing. I look at and go, that's actually stalking. Like, the yeah. guy looked at, like, eight years of me on RNZ. Yeah, yeah, that was insane. And then it was, it was, it was, those clips are from eight years apart. Yeah, yeah. And then selectively edited them down. I mean, there's obviously yeah. there's some complete fuck-ups on my part there. Yeah, you know, that's that happens. Live, that's yeah. live radio, when you start talking about something you haven't, that you're not prepared to talk about. Um... I look at that now and I go, it just seems to me like a very, very mean-spirited thing yeah, to do. Yeah. And what what gladdens my heart was all the comments underneath of people of saying, course. you're a fucking wanker. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Tuckett's doing his job. Yeah. Yeah. Um, any, any comment I ever receive that's anonymous, I just discard straight yeah, away. Yeah, you just don't. It's like you and me, we get up there every week, we put our name on these things. It's a small town, you can probably find out my bloody email address if you want. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, obviously you can. It's like, if you go, if you aren't prepared to put your name behind your comment, yeah, yeah. Um, it means not, absolutely yeah. nothing to me. So, and if I, I get what I, what I think of as valid criticism, or you didn't mention so-and-so, or what about so-and-so, or you missed this point, I go, yeah, actually, I'll engage with that. But if it's just, 
I mean, the, the classic stuff comment on a film review is typical film reviewer yeah, only, yeah. In, only interested in blah blah art house yeah yeah, you know, yeah some of us just want to turn our brains off on a Friday night yeah, and yeah. Go, well judging by your tone it's more than just a Friday night you're turning your <laughs> yeah, brain off yeah, yeah. but I mean the, the whole idea that the film you know, I just go well actually I gave five stars to that and that and that and that and that and that and that yeah and they're certainly not art house films so actually you're just a sad little git I my have... favourite comment ever was somebody said only interested in black and white films about repressed Iranian ballet dancers. And I was like, that's very specific. And the strange thing is, about a year before, I'd given a really glowing review to a black and white Iranian film about a repressed lesbian vampire. <laughs> so I posted the YouTube link back to him and said, not exactly, but you might enjoy this. Yeah, not this. far off. Yeah. And that turned into like a dialogue with yeah, this yeah. guy going, oh, I watched that thing, it was quite good. <laughs> So you've you've done film reviews for uh, in three different formats really. You've you've done a lot of print reviews. Yeah. And print obviously extends to online these days. You've also been a voice on radio, but I know like the last couple of years or year or so, you've also done these like um, video yeah, reviews for stuff. for stuff. Yeah. How can you talk a little bit about the difference between working in those formats? Um, What's different for you? To and, me, how, well, was, and how do you feel you're most successful? I was comfortable with radio, even yeah. though I never had a script in radio. I would yeah. walk in with basically like a, yeah, yeah. Ha, maybe 10 lines of notes of just yeah. key names yeah. written down in front of me, and it was always winging it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's a man after my own heart. That's yeah. what I do. Hence, you know, you're going to make the occasional cock up. You're going to say F. Murray Abraham when he meant Ben Kingsley. It's like, you know, but that's better than dead air. It's better than it's better than somebody reading a script. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Exactly. So I was comfortable with the sound of my own voice, I guess. Um, with the video reviews, I do write a script. Yeah. Because you just don't want you to You have to. Yeah, you yeah, have yeah. to with video, I think. Yeah. It's, it's so much less forgiving than radio. Yeah. You can't make a stupid expression. You can't make a stupid screwed up face on video. No. Um, we put that on the laptop. Also, it's not a dialogue. It's you to camera, essentially. Exactly, Where, whereas not. radio, it's a dialogue yeah. in a roundabout way. Like really you've got, you've got a, a, you've a, got a host. Ryan or someone there to Yeah, go, yeah, prompting you a little bit. Off. Yeah, yeah, and, and covering for you if you do have a mind blank. First ever time I did RNZ was uh, Linda Clark. Yeah. Who was great. Yeah, exceptional broadcaster. Exceptional broadcaster, but some, something quite... So she was a little bit easily shocked. Right. Let's put it that way. Yeah. And the film I chose to review, they called me up and said, "Look, Tim O'Brien can't do it. Can yeah. you step in?" And I was yeah. like, "Okay, what do you want to review?" All right, said, I'll go see it. I said, well, there, is, I said this, "There is this really controversial French film that's just right. started. It's getting all the headlines at the moment. <laughs> yeah. Called Bezmoir. Ah, classic. First thing I ever did on RNZ was Bezmoir. Classic. And I told all my family yeah. that I was going to be doing it, and I yeah. knew for a fact that you know they'd all be listening. Yeah, yeah. Because they're RNZ listeners anyway. And I'm about 30 seconds into it, and I suddenly went, my mother just heard me say anal rape. <laughs> and I, I kind of went, and I looked over, and there's Linda looking a bit like, whew, not, not sure about the new guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah and that sort of fluffed my way through from there. But that was the, yeah, that was the first time it's been wow. up since. Yeah, yeah. No, because it's, it's funny. I mean, I've done a little bit of, um, well, I guess I've done, yeah, I, did, I used to do music reviews on TV, yeah. and I've done radio and print and there is a difference like between them all oh yeah totally yeah Yeah. and you sometimes when I first started doing it I tried to lift the script basically directly out of what I've written for print the day before and it went just doesn't work yeah actually that's putting the lie to what I said an hour ago about 
it's just me down the pub talking yeah, yeah, to Thomas yeah, yeah. It actually, I, I do completely rewrite those scripts. Yeah, you have to for yeah. those situations. Yeah, yeah. I did, I mean, when I did TV and when I do radio, it's essentially completely unscripted. Like, yeah. TV, they would write a script, but I would ignore it. Yeah. And radio... Oh, you've been doing Good Morning and stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, I, yeah. I mean, I did film for yeah, that yeah, for a little yeah, bit. That was yeah. always unscripted. But again, yeah. you've got someone to bounce off. Yeah, exactly. It's I was going to say, it's a podcast. That, that's essentially like a radio situation. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um, so the other thing I wanted to bring up with you too was um, the time that I was your super sub I wrote one film review for the Dominion Post in place of you Yeah. and that was because you couldn't write the review oh the Shehad documentary because it was the Shehad documentary right. so they I wrote the Shehad documentary review yeah, yeah. and I liked the film can yeah. you talk a bit about why you couldn't do that Oh, I couldn't. Well, I couldn't write the review because I was, I was the original. I was the f- original director of the film. Yeah. And I wrote the. Well, I said the treatment. But I originally wrote the script of the film. Yes. Like yeah. I wrote the the outline of the story. Yeah. The documentary that I to tell. Yeah. Um, that was an interesting process. Yeah. So this was after. This the Barry Barclay. Barclay. I got yeah. called in by the two producers. Yeah. And said, look, I've got a short list of people that we want to talk to. Yeah. I said, what's the project? They said, she had. And I was like, instantly just went, are you kidding me? Yes, please. And <laughs> yeah. off my stories about yeah. I've seen them the mid to late 80s, getting into the Clarendon, seeing them play for the yeah. first time. Yeah. Conversations I've had. I remember Johnny doing this. I yeah. had a conversation with Tom about that. And it's sort of like their eyes lit up and they went, oh, we've got the right guy to do it. Yeah. So that was cool. And they called me back. Literally the next day, went okay. Do you want the gig? And I was like, cool. You know, what what's happening? They went, well, we wanted someone to write the treatment that's going to get us funding. Yeah. For the film, and I went. Phew. So um, that turned into something like a six day process of like yeah. lots of phone calls to um, specifically the Tom Larkin. Yeah. Who's just the best guy in the world. Yeah. Uh, God. I met him very briefly. So but solid. Really uh, solid. I feel like if anything, he's running that ship. <laughs> He's solid, he's yeah. business-like, he's yeah. absolutely That's transparent. That's what I mean. Like, he's, he's utterly transparent. Yeah. Yeah. But like, if, he, if Tom Larkin tells you something, it's really it's, it's what, yeah. yeah. It's what he needs, yeah. Um, and that's not decrying the other three, but sure. Tom, Tom is, he's managers. Yes, you know, it, that's what I mean. He, he's, he's across it all. So he, um, and he basically told me where a few of the bodies were buried and gave me a couple of like interesting anecdotes. Yeah. I got the whole yarn about what happened at the big Hollywood gig that... Yes. Yeah, that's sort of like the, the great halfway point of the career where they'd been climbing up this hill towards Getting success to in moment. LA and, and then, then suddenly crashing back down yeah. to tail between the legs back in New Zealand. Yeah. And I thought, well, there's a great story arc there. Turn that into about a 20-page treatment, trotted up to the film commission. Uh, there was a person running the script assessment division, I guess, of the film commission at the time. Yeah. who looked at it and said, oh, this is a really good story, but I want you to change this and this and this and this and this, which I guess was their job at the time. Yeah. Went away, made the changes they suggested, went back and went, oh, it's, it's really getting there. I just want to see a few more. Yeah. And I basically I went back and went, went back to the original first draft, which I knew was perfect. Mm. Like I'd written the hell out of it. I knew it was right. Yeah. A new structure. And I knew I'd structured it right. Yeah. Went back and represented her about a month later, the original draft that she told me to go away and rewrite. And this time she said, this is great, I cried. And um, got hauled into a meeting, stood up my back legs and basically wouldn't stop talking until they gave us the cash. And we uh, we got the funding to make she out. And then, then the fun and game started. It was uh, the communication channels between me and the producers were fuzzy at best. Yeah. Uh, they, they hadn't done it before. 
I hadn't made a film in that way before. It was a very, very few months after my dad had died. I was probably a little uh, less focused and less directed yeah. Yeah. than I should have been. Yeah. Um, I felt I felt sort of unsupported. I think they felt unconfident in the direction I was taking with the film. And we just, after a couple of weeks, we all just came to a head. And they said, well, it was basically, do we fire you or do you want to walk away? And I said, yeah. I'm happy to walk away. Yeah. And that was that. It was an unworkable. And then it went to um, it went to Sam Peacock, who yeah. would have his own story to tell. Sure. So. Uh, and what Sam what Sam made, I like immensely. Yeah. And I'm very very proud of the fact that the that original twenty page draft treatment stands still, up and it's, some, it's, it's still in very, there. It's, it's still very there. much there as the bones yes. of the film. Yeah, 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 yeah. So because I mean I loved that film. Um, what I wondered was, so did you just declare yourself out in terms of reviewing that? Oh yeah, you can't review a film before time. No, no, yeah. no, no, no. Yeah. Which I thought was very admirable. I mean, like, uh, it would obviously it would feel like it would be a no-brainer. Yeah. But at the same time, it was like I mean, I knew a little bit of that story well, because you had you had written to me at some point, and, and obviously a bunch of other people. I remember you wrote to me and said, "What's your model? She had set list." What's your dream? She had set list. These were these were people. There were people back in New Zealand because after we completed the Australian interviews, which I directed, yeah, for key interviews with the band, I was there for that. And then there were people I wanted to talk to back in New Zealand because I don't think we would have even met at that point. Probably not. You said that message. It was a side chapter of what of like knowledgeable heads to talk about what they loved about the band and what they would. And I remember you saying we yeah. the whole the whole movie was going to get structured around a concept. That's what I was going to say, right? Yeah. So there's a very tiny bit of concert stuff in there, but not like yeah. how I imagined you. It's like a, your idea was more of a concert film structure. It was. It would have been an illustrated concert. Yes. Yeah. With with specific songs talking to specific chapters of their life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that structure stayed right until uh, events. I can't really talk about because I wasn't sure. So, does something like that interest you to do again in the future, like, or oh, yeah. to complete, like, and, and, because, I mean, given that you've obviously, you're a music fan, yeah, I would imagine a guy who is a radio DJ who loves music, who's a film reviewer who makes documentaries, yeah. who loves film, like, in a perfect, and obviously this was not a perfect set of circumstances, as you explained, but in a perfect set of circumstances, oh, that or one. something like that would it's be still, the perfect it's one of my film, right? Favorite genres, and I think I could do a good job. Yeah. You know, it's, it's a story. I love like telling the story of a band. Yeah. I think is one of the most interesting little human stories because all the dynamics of a family are there. Yeah. And all this other yeah, stuff as well. Of course, we're all drawn to it, right? Yeah, like I mean, everything. I've, I've watched. I've watched band documentaries seen, about bands yeah. that I don't like that much. Yeah, but, but the, the movie film's good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was going to say to people, Iron Maiden, Flight Six Six Six. Yeah, great. Make me a fan of Iron Maiden. Yeah. And I yeah. thought I hated that band yeah, until I saw it. that movie. And I came away respecting them so much. I started listening to music. And that's what I mean. I think. I think that's what I mean by what I said to you, like with your Barclay doco, like. I, we're 90% of the time a really great doco helps introduce the work that that subject does as well as be a documentary in and of its own self like yeah. so did you see that film oh, it was a few years ago at the film festival now about Love Story about the band Love that's an incredible oh that's an incredible doco I mean yeah. like I, I knew that band already yeah um, but if you didn't yeah know much about that band at all and some people just know that Calexico covered you know a load again or um, 
or whatever. Like yeah. that is an amazing film about a really interesting think, band. Think, but in the scheme of things, they're not a big deal band. A so. band always has a really interesting story. Yeah, dynamics usually they're so encapsulated. They always involve road trips and drugs and women and men. I mean, I'd almost argue if they poverty don't... and success and you've, they've always got this amazing arc. You could almost argue if they don't have an interesting story, they're not an interesting band. You know, like, like pretty much. Like, well, name a band that hasn't got an interesting story. Exactly. Like... I mean, whoever got... I mean... The Feelers. Come my little Venus. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> see? Your time's up. All right. <laughs> you see? Okay, you see? Good. Yeah. yeah. Actually, you're probably right. There's quite a few New Zealand ones that yeah. we could chuck in there. But yeah. not you. Anyone who's come... Your time's up. Anyone who's come from obscurity... <laughs> yeah. ...to a point where they're globally famous. Yeah. And if they started off in relative poverty... Yeah. It's like, all of it's going to be in there. Oh, it's, and it's be... constantly fascinating to people because people... Yeah. Are not only blown away and fascinated and appalled and obsessed with celebrity, yeah. but also like rock star celebrity is a different kind of celebrity. Yeah. And even if it's not rock star, like it's yeah. fascinating, you know. And the whole industry is full of the most woefully dysfunctional people. Yeah. Who are absolutely stone cold brilliant yeah. at the same time. Yeah, yeah. But and you then, always get these extreme personalities quite yeah. generally out the front behind the microphone. Yeah. Really. And you're talking about a bunch of men and women who usually hit the, the, the biggest success sometime around the age of 24, 25 years yeah, old. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When you might think you've got the world at your feet, so I was gonna have, say, but God, you're a twat at that So age. it's arrested development one way or another. It's either yeah. like, you know, like a monumental sort of teenager yeah. or like longing for that and trying to get that back. Yeah. Because best that, like catching a band who are still raw with it before they've got to that point where they've got all the rehearsed dances yeah. and whatever they do is just going to be public relations. Because <laughs> they, don't, they don't want or need the public. Like, you listen to, like, I heard uh, Don Hanley being reviewed a few yeah. weeks ago. And it was just, like, just obviously wrote PR answers. Yeah, you know? yeah. And it was a real shame because there'd be far more interesting stories there. But yeah. what's it of him? Well, see that and he's an old enough and clever enough man to know there's nothing in it. He's already put the Eagles back together after saying that they never... Yeah. Play again after the thing he died, you know. Yeah. Like, so how many health, fuck him? Like, what, many an, freeze, what a what a fucking asshole! How many like, health freezes over do you have to release? What an absolute asshole, though. Like, but at the same time, they're seventy years old. They go, hey, we must play those tracks. And also, that's all we've ever really done. Yeah, yeah, no, totally. Yeah. I'm only giving him grief because he did actually come out and make the public statement that you know, never, never, never again. again. And it's yeah. like, oh, you lasted like that was a particularly cold winter, <laughs> you know. Like, yeah. um, so who who's who in New Zealand could you make that sort of film about do you think would it be a New Zealand band for you I that's imagine a fine question be. Catch a Fire I yeah. think Catch a Fire would have a great yarn behind them yeah um, there is a Head Like a Hole documentary in the fermentation yes so I can hear it has been well it was in Head Like a Hole was in fermentation before the She Hub making She Hub yeah and I believe it's uh, it's progressed I've met the guy and I said, look, anytime you want to flip me like a cut copy, like yeah. a four-hour rough cut, yeah. I'd love to have a look at it. I yeah. believe I could have some input that might be a value to you. Yeah, yeah. And he'd say, yeah, never hear from him again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, one day the headline whole documentary might get seen and it'll be a great, I hope it's a great day. It'll be interesting to see how that goes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I got approached about a year after the whole she had, my personal she yeah. had debacle, yeah. uh, by, um, by the surviving hunter brother. Um, oh, yeah, yeah, Todd. Todd, thank you. Um, 
regarding making a dragon doctor. Right, wow. And I, 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 I faffed around with that for six months and did some reading, made some phone calls, and mm. got some interviews and sat down and talked to a few people and eventually just went, I don't, I couldn't, it wasn't me. Couldn't piece that together I for you. I couldn't yeah. piece it together as a narrative. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's a horrible, tragic fucking narrative. Yes, of course. Yeah. But it doesn't add up to something that would be compelling cinema. Yeah. Uh, I couldn't see how the hell to end it as... On an upbeat note. In a, in a way that I would have been comfortable yeah. with the ending. Yeah. Um, yeah, the ending writes itself there and you don't want that ending. It's not yeah. the ending you want. Yeah. You want the ending of, oh, but here they all are today or the band carries on. And yeah, it's just, yeah. It's, it's, it's yeah. not that ending. Yeah. So I, I stepped back from that after about six months of talking. Yeah. I just couldn't, I wasn't the right person to do it. Yeah. Someone who maybe knew the band and had a bit a few more inside stories. Okay, and fictional, I guess we could say fictional feature film... Uh, work or, or other short film work is that like are you going to make more films yeah I think so you think so yeah yeah. I've got a documentary brewing at the moment um, which I hope I'm going to get off the ground and that'll just be fun yeah and it'll be it's like a genuinely international project like it's you know it'll be, it'll be made by a New Zealander but it's about it's about an American and an Englishman yeah. So that'll be fun to do, and I'm not saying any more about it. I was just going to say, it sounds like you've not got never, much never, else to no, say. I never, about I never put the curse on no, the film. Fair enough. Um, and do you want to talk a bit about, um, you, you, cause you, just because you mentioned it, Crew Wellington and Crew Auckland? Because I see you talking about this all the time on Facebook, so I have a very basic understanding about what it is. But do you want to sort of put this out there as uh, a, give a plug to it and explain what you've done there? Crew Wellington and Crew Auckland are an online directory of available film crew um, working in those two cities. So if you've got a project, um, yeah. a f- be it what, a well, sh- if, anything. If you're if you're making a video, a film, shoot. If you're making a film in Wellington, go to the website and we'll find you the crew. And this could be a video shoot. Oh yeah, it could be anything. To a music video yeah. or a no, we, you know we help people out making zero budget short films. Yeah, and we yeah, help yeah. people out making feature well, films. Ghost in the Shell employed crew. Yeah, us. yeah. So, so you find the people that are available that can yeah. work, and this is what. Well, it's uh, a, it's all better of people involved in the film industry, uh, all, technical all, crew, all on-set crew, and all yeah. office technical staff. Yeah, and a few a few editors and directors as well. So where did that come from? That idea? Uh, there was well, there's an older business model of like the full service diary booking agent. Yeah, but in Wellington, that basically got made extinct by the rise of the internet, yeah. Google Calendar. And also, I'm going to say the rise of Peter Jackson. Yeah, yeah. Like, there were a couple. Of he employed everyone that needed a well, with yeah, a reason. Much, there was a couple of years where like <laughs> yeah. everyone, everyone who was working with Peter Jackson didn't need an agent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And everyone who wasn't working with Peter Jackson couldn't afford an agent. Yeah. Because there's this. <laughs> that was of, the divide. Yeah. Well, people believed, you know, in the rest of yes. the country and the rest of the people that used to come here and make films, they believed that as long as Peter Jackson or James Cameron were making a film, that he wouldn't be able to get a crew in Wellington. So yeah, like yeah. the 30% of the crew in Wellington who weren't working on those jobs yeah. found it very difficult to get work and they couldn't afford you know, the $100 a month agent fees. The last flat that I lived in before we bought a house, we moved in and the guy who rented it to us, it was a nice guy, was a cameraman who was working on one of the Lord of the Rings films. Yeah. And then he sold the flat, which sped up our decision to move into buy because he sold it to a guy who was a bit of a chump who was difficult but you know that was his arc like he had fallen out of work so they needed to sell the investment home that they'd bought with a with a flurry you know a bit of an influx yeah. And they kind of gone, shit, yeah, we a, actually have a, to. It's a woefully unstable yeah. business. So I mean, that was good, it. He, the they, years, were, they were gone. They'd had those good years and yeah. then they were gone. You know, in the good years, it was great. And in the bad years, it was diabolical. Like post, post, post global financial meltdown, 
you know, 2009, 2010, mm. 2011 were just diabolical. Yeah, like, yeah. People were just selling their trucks. Yeah, know? yeah. But, um, yeah, the, I mean, there was a crew, there was a crew booking agency in Wellington called CBA. Yeah. And they shut their doors in the aftermath of the global financial crisis when the film industry in Wellington effectively went bottom up. Yeah. So if you weren't working on an avatar, then you weren't working. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So the business model became redundant. Uh, I was on holiday with an ex-girlfriend, true, and was driving back and I said, oh, it's a bugger the CBA is shut. I'd been one of the last people on board. And I said, oh, I'm not going to get some business cards printed, drop them off in the production company so people can find my phone number and email address if yeah. they want to employ me. And she said, you should get a whole bunch of mates together, you get a discount on the printing. And then I said, I could start like just a website off with our phone numbers on it. And she went, that's a good idea. And I just went... Oh fuck! And I went. That's it. That's my idea. Eureka! Yeah, and I literally started driving faster to get home to do it. Yeah. And we had the site up in five days. Yeah. Yeah. And that continues and ticks along very nicely. It um. Now it, it fulfills it. It fulfills it. Oh, it's just. It's a privilege. It's yeah. An absolute privilege. Um, what are you going to do when there's no more film reviewing? Huh. I mean, you've got filmmaking as a thing, yeah. but you would argue filmmaking will outlive film reviewing. That's a great question. Because music's going to out. It mu- feels like music reviewing's just about over. I think music's still going. So, yeah, but at the same time, like, the digital world is so content hungry. Yeah. But at the same time, content hungry and actually getting paid for providing content yeah. are two very different things. But also, what I find with music reviewing is like, I've. I've I mean, I've still got things I want to say about albums, but I've taken a longer time this year to get into it because, uh, you know, fuck, everyone can find this shit before I can. Mm. Or or they're fighting it at the same time. Mm. Or, and, you know, they don't need my, you know, they've arguably never needed my uh, opinion on it. But there are people that want, maybe want my opinion on it, fine. Um, but it hasn't, sure as hell hasn't stopped the flood of music there's heaps of music and it's going to be the same for film right like when people stop caring about film opinions it doesn't mean they've stopped caring about films I I would argue that people won't stop caring about film opinions anymore than they stop caring about music opinions like everybody still wants at the very least a way of being exposed to cinema that they might not otherwise see Hopefully, and yeah. something more than they're just going to find by flipping through yeah. Netflix. Yeah, hopefully. I mean, the, I think the 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 more all of, all enveloping the digital world, streaming world becomes, the more there's going to be hundreds of channels and millions of films out there, and millions of albums getting dropped all the time. Yeah, yeah. The technology gets so cheap that we can make these things for the hundreds of dollars rather than even the thousands. Yeah, yeah. And the world is still full of people who go, well, there's no other work around there. I may as well try and be a filmmaker. Yeah. The film the film schools are churning them out thirty a year. Or yeah. Or believing, or believing they're going to be directors. Yeah. It's yeah. Like, well, you're not. And directors, yeah. like the directors you keep quoting, none of them went to film school. Yeah. So there's all this untapped, untested, possibly quite well resourced talent out there trying to tell stories. Yeah. I think um, people to be not exactly gatekeepers, but people to occasionally like light a little torch and go, hey, there's one over there that's worth looking at. I think there will be maybe not a market for us, but at least a place for us. Yeah. And I guess one of the the great thing the great thing about the internet you have to keep saying is that it does allow people to carve out their little place. Yeah. You've carved out a place for Crew Wellington, Crew Auckland. The internet's good. So, it's good that it lets everybody had a go. Yeah. What I loathe about it is the people that have a go that have got that have got capital behind them. Yes. Are the only ones who are ever really going to get a seen. Yes. You could be the next Tarantino. 
but if you haven't got a studio system behind you to go, hey, the kid made a good film, here's another million for marketing, yes. you won't get seen now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because the studio system at least did that. It was a, it was a curator of quality. Yeah, the indie... In the same way as like book publishers used to be curators of, qual of quality. A lot of great indie films from the 90s, but they still had massive backing when it came yeah. to sending them around everywhere. We all... We call them indie filmmakers, but we all fucking heard of them. How, oh, yeah. how did we all hear so of you them? You might have made your film for Because they went to every festival, they did every yeah. junket, they, yeah. yeah. You could be um, uh, El Mariachi and be yeah. made for seven and a half thousand dollars. Yeah. But without Warner Brothers or whichever, whoever the company was, Fox or Sony, whoever yeah, it was, yeah, yeah. to then put another seven hundred thousand dollars into the marketing, you wouldn't have been the indie sensation, you know? What do you think of him? Because I love the way that he's always uh, Rodriguez. I love the way his ten-minute film school clips on his. Yeah. I and mean, I haven't really kept up with his most recent stuff, but I always really like the way that he's got a cool way with the camera. Yeah. He's got a great and, way with, he choreographs his cameras beautifully, checks yeah, them around. Yeah. In a way that I think Tarantino probably learned some ideas from him. You know? Yes. Yeah. 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 But, uh, no, he's, he's fun. He's never yeah. he's never made a film that's made me go, "Oh, that's that's one of them." That's top a, ten. Yeah. But the original El Mariachi, when you saw that and go, well, well that forget, forget our cynicism about how much money they've chucked into the marketing of it. That's still a great film. I like that film. And I like the book that he wrote about that film as much as... I haven't read that. Oh, you yeah. must... I mean, I, I would say that is probably better than the film. I've heard people say it's better than film school. Yeah, yeah. well, like, as, a, I, read it, I read it going... I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm not a guy with... Uh, well, I, you know, I have next to no talents. And I certainly uh, never wanted or tried to be a filmmaker or anything like that but I did read that at an impressionable time and went wow fuck maybe this could be my film school like you, mm. as you're reading it you go man maybe I'm gonna grab my parents video camera and run off and, with my mates and just try something because yeah. so it puts you there in yeah. that way it almost disappoints me the technology is so accessible now yeah but I'm not seeing those great balls to the wall energetic let's just have a go stories coming out like the stuff I'm seeing that's micro-budget is introspective. Is that because people are after the sharper viral hit, do you think? Like, that that's where that energy is going? I don't sometimes? know. Sometimes? I, I, I know that, that I find inexplicable. I just see yeah. so many intros, introspective pseudo-romances coming out of filmmakers who should be doing nothing but setting shit on fire. Yeah. But, you know, when, when, when you do see a good one, it's great. Yeah, yeah. yeah. How, how often do you go back and revisit old classics? Uh, depends how old we're talking about. Well, anything from 20 years ago now is an old classic. Yeah. So I don't mean like films yeah. from the 40s. I mean even Pulp Fiction my and back. Absolute, like my go-tos, like coming home from the pub and thinking I just want to watch something before I crash. Yeah. My absolute go-tos are early Scorsese's. Yeah. Um, especially Raging Bull. And yeah. Especially, um, actually The Departed, which doesn't even count as nearly Scorsese. No, that's not really. But I finished, I can watch that film endlessly now. Really? I finished up really, I finished up God, I've only seen it once. I liked it. I finished up appreciating a hell of a lot more than I thought yeah. I did. Um, but Raging Bull I can watch over and yeah. over again and have watched over and over again. Yeah. The other film I watch obsessively is When We Were Kings, the Muhammad Ali documentary. Oh, yeah, that's amazing. That is literally the first DVD I ever bought. Wow. The first time I bought a DVD. I feel player. like... They gave me a voucher for three for three movies. Yeah. And they had a bin of like the available DVDs, and that was the first one I picked out. And the second one I picked out was The Filth and the Fury. Right. So there's a lot of key documentaries, and obviously Bowling for Columbine, and particularly Roger and Me, uh, yeah. you know, and, and Michael Moore as a figurehead is really important. But I do think When We Were Kings is, is oh. one of the 
key modern documentaries that really got it like but they literally took 25 years over the edit of that film yeah and although they obviously weren't sitting there every single day with their scissors sure. and salad like there is something about that film you look at it and go it could that that story could not be any more sinuously woven together than it is yeah yeah, yeah that's a, that's I think that's a A plus ultra documentary. And actually, Filth and the Fury is a very good is a, is a very good very like good. doco, influential yeah. doco. Uh, like one that if you had I've had to know my favorite doco about a band that would be Head and Shoulders. Really? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I mean it is it is it is good. It yeah, is I good. I think he died. He just did that in a beautiful way and so really well, he propulsive and enjoyable as well. Caught that incredible vulnerability too about uh, yeah. people that you thought were. When I say you, I mean like the the mainstream movie audience, particularly that would have seen that yeah. and the concept, had a preconceived notion of the Sex Pistols as punk figureheads that didn't give a fuck. I think what I love about that story is that nobody really nobody knew the story. Yeah. Until you actually until the story you saw that film, very the confused story was until basically unknown because yeah. all you had was Malcolm McLaren's self anguardism mythology and what he'd done with the band yeah and that was the only thing that was in the public arena yeah yeah so when that film came out and blew the lid off you finally got the the tragedy that was behind that band yeah 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 and the betrayal and the backstab the manipulation and, the... and what they actually tried to do yeah and how manufactured it was and yet how real some of what they achieved was yeah you know yeah. Yeah. Steve Jones just talked on Mark Maron's podcast recently, and that is really interesting because he's—I haven't—he's just released a book. Yeah. So I haven't caught up with the book yet, but his uh, his talk on that podcast is amazing. Got like, that. Yeah, that's really good. Okay. Um, we've got to cut this off. We've got to cut this off. Yeah, so, yeah. is there anything that we haven't covered? That, that you, I mean, there's, 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 there's obviously we're talking fucking yeah. films. No, but what I mean is, there anything that I you wished I'd asked you that I hadn't? Yeah. Is there the anything? The only thing I'll say is, I think, I think anything you make is part of the discourse, and I think everybody's got a right to be part of the discourse. Yeah. And I think the public will always judge on whether whether what you said is part of the discourse is valid or not. Yeah. Some days I think the review is better than the film. Some most days the review is far better than the the, the film is far better than the review. That's that's exactly one of the reasons I had always wanted to talk to you for this podcast because I, I find the idea of talking to another reviewer very interesting. I mean, I can't yeah. for many reasons I can't interview myself. I would be appalled by that more I mean, than any Lester would like, be. What, but you know, what, what it's, we do as reviewers generally yeah. is a, th- a hundred floors lower on the tower of song sure. than what filmmakers and, and music makers. Actually of course, achieve. of course. And we we've always we know that humility. too. <laughs> but at the same time, you don't walk in going. It's just one other opinion because it is an opinion that we have a passion for. Yeah. Most people, I mean, it's an opinion that we gave a fuck for. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. And that in itself, I think, gives it some inherent value. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, we do the job because we're, we're not certainly doing the job to make money. We're doing the job because we, and it's not because we love the sound of our own voices, despite what 99 critics out of 100 <laughs> will tell you. You do the job is because you actually want to participate in the conversation. You give a shit. That the artist you respect started. Yeah. 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 Well, hey, that's our end point. That's perfect.